I can't believe Zeb shaved off his beard. It's ridiculous. It's not ridiculous, as you can see. It is. It, as no, you can see, that, it's not ridiculous, but I can't believe he did either. You look like a choir boy, and so does Zeb now. <laughs> Before you looked like men. That seems a slight exaggeration, perhaps, just a little tiny bit, maybe. I thought you'd be on my side. Steve. Ryan has the manly I'm, hair here. Ryan is full of exaggerations. Nothing, <laughs> no, nothing like your gargantuan face bear. What look, I've got that, here is look at that tiny beautiful fur, man. Sorry, Stuart. I should have been better prepared Stuart, and had this set up. professional show. <laughs> no, 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 no. Quite, quite the opposite. You have no idea what it's like on Bad Voltage. So, <laughs> so seriously, don't worry about it. I have... This is like, this is like watching the BBC by comparison. <laughs> so you're fine. BBC. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you have to listen to every single word I say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what happens. It, it should be a fun episode. Oh, to listen it's going to be a fantastic episode. I can't wait to hear it. You're going to do editing of a show one day. Oh yeah, I'll do editing of <laughs> the show now. You won't like the result. But no, I don't. I don't think we would. Now. Did you ever watch his channel? Zeb? come on. You want him to edit? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know the Ooh. quantity of subscribers would say differently. Uh huh. <laughs> hey, subscribing to a channel doesn't mean anything. I've got 110 people who watch me drive around like a lunatic. <laughs> really? <laughs> See? Because you've got big numbers. Doesn't mean it's good quality. <laughs> Whoa, of course that's what it means. Really? <laughs> yeah. God. Those guys will never get in a room and work together. <laughs> it would be awesome if they could, but they're not yeah. ever going to. It's not no. going to happen. No. Maybe um, Destination Linux is the one that will bring them together. No. Yeah. Oh. Um, everything will continue to be rubbish, <laughs> I think, is currently my prediction. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Destination Linux Podcast. Welcome to episode 50. I'm Rocco. And I'm Ryan. And this is Destination Linux. Today we have, well, we'll be covering some news, but we have a special guest to talk to. His name, Stuart Langridge. Welcome, Stuart. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe we got Stuart on this show, Rocco. It's pretty awesome, man. It's pretty awesome. So, Stuart, you are a, you are like all over the place. You're an author, you're a podcaster, you're a developer, uh, GitHub page, Launchpad page, formerly worked for Canonical. You got all the social media outlets. You even got your own Wikipedia page. Now- <laughs> Dude, you think you do enough, maybe? <laughs> it sounds rather more grand when you describe it than it does from, you know, inside. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So you have a website called Cryogenics. I do. So what is it all about? Um, well, the website is just my website has been for, come when I registered the domain, but, um, the, uh, the, the, the blog that's on it's been there since 2002 and so on. It's, but it's now also the front end for my business because I, I do freelance work, design and, um, development for people. So, so the front page of it kind of got repurposed to be a thing that business people can go and look at to see All what pretty. I do. <laughs> yes. Yeah. For, 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 for which I, um, I went cap in hand to a real designer. 
I, I am no graphical designer, so <laughs> I, 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 I work with someone else to do that. Um, but yeah, the, the rest of it is, it, it's a, it's a, a combination of a dumping ground and storage <laughs> place for things as and when I do them. I mean, I've been doing web stuff for forever. So, right. so, the, so there's a lot of stuff on there, which is experiments I've built or essays I've written or whatever. <laughs> okay. So, uh, you started out with a podcast called Lug Radio. We did. And Goodness, you... that was a long time ago. <laughs> how, how long ago? <laughs> uh, Lug Radio started in 2004, if I remember rightly. I'd have to, yeah. I'd have to check, but I'm pretty sure that's when we started. And presently you're with, uh, Bad Voltage. Yay! Bad Voltage. <laughs> you what, are one what... third of Bad Voltage. <laughs> I, I am one third of Bad Voltage. What happens is, um, Myself and John O'Bacon um, set up Lug Radio originally in 2004 with Matt Ravel and Steve Parks. Uh, and then that went for a long time with a couple of changes of presenters, but John and I were part of it. And then we stopped Lug Radio in 2009. Oh, sorry, we stopped in 2008, but the final live show was 2009. And then what happens is a couple of years go past when we say, well, we're not doing any more podcasting, that's it. And then either John O rings me or I ring John O and say, we should do a podcast. What do you think? <laughs> so, so, so John and I did shot of Jack for a bit, and then that stopped, and then, and then it took about eighteen months or so for the itch to build up again. Right. So, bad voltage, which is what we're doing at the moment. Well, bad voltage is hilarious. We were talking about this a little bit right before we started, and uh, Rocco was like, "You got to check out this podcast, Bad Voltage." And the problem with it is the amount of times you have to stop it to laugh. Or reverse back because there are so many moments where you guys are tearing into each other or going off on a tangent on something that just absolutely cracks me up. So every one of our listeners definitely needs to check out Bad Voltage if you're probably probably already subscribed to it. But if not, check it out because it is hilarious. You guys do a great job. The best thing about Bad Voltage is that it doesn't matter what they're talking about. It doesn't even matter if it's a topic that interests me. It interests mm-hmm. me to listen to them talk about it. That's what's great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> to be honest, that's that's you know the vibe we're going for. We, I mean, it's um, it's supposed to be technology, and there's a lot of open source stuff in there because all three of us are open sourcey people. So the mm-hmm. kinds of technology we look at has that kind of slant. But it's basically stuff we think is interesting. So right. So we so we've talked about we've talked about politics and we've done reviews of things and 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 we've talked a lot about technology and so on and so forth but every now and again someone will say but you talked about this thing and that's got nothing to do with linux we say yeah it doesn't say linux anywhere on the website it's not a linux podcast (laughs) happens to be a lot of linux involved in it but it's just stuff as and when required (laughs) well it's definitely a great show so thank you very much but you you know being a podcaster you can relate to what i'm going to say here that sometimes co-hosts and people that you work with really don't cooperate to Rocco this is so unprofessional how (laughs) dare you Stuart we had an anniversary show for Destination Links because it's actually Mm -hmm. December 17th is our anniversary of the first episode last year that we did Wow. So we did some extreme planning, you know, with this where extreme, I mean, extreme planning with episode 49, because obviously we couldn't plan it on an even number episode since we started. (laughs) Is it it extreme in the sense there was a lot of planning or were you like on a snowboard or something? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, so we did some planning on this, and um, originally the podcast had started out with a guy, Rob Collins, and he, because of time issues and everything, he couldn't continue. So uh, Ryan has stepped in and and done an okay job at it. <laughs> and uh, so we planned this episode where Rob would come back on and Ryan would be here and we would talk about everything, mm -hmm, talk about the mm -hmm. podcast and maybe some of our district picks for the year. This big episode planned. And then Ryan just doesn't show up. Because I was doing other extreme things, like <laughs> being extremely stuck at an airport. <laughs> what could possibly be more extreme or better than Destination Linux? Dealing with Delta's three-and-a-half-hour wait time to try to get another flight, then having Delta tell me I'm actually in another state when I'm sitting right there at their podium, and they're like, no, we're, we show you you've taken a flight over here because their app auto-books you on the next flight. Then not being able to get on a plane till the very next day. Then getting home to a family that got the stomach virus. My three and four year old puking literally the moment I got home. But that's not even the worst part because when I got home, there was no power because the storms had knocked out all of our power. Then to this week, Rocco, just two days ago, got strep throat. So still recovering from that. On lots of medication for strep throat. Stuart, where's I've the excuse meter at? a fun, extreme <laughs> week, let me tell you. Uh, no, to be honest with you, I think um, you uh, you get ill, your family gets ill, the power goes out in your house. This is what happens when you fly Delta. Don't fly Delta. <laughs> well, I guess we can cross them off the list of sponsors. <laughs> well, like they would ever sponsor later we're going to get into um, – we had done – Destro picks last week and the desktop environments that we liked. So we're going to have to cover Ryan's this week because, well, that, you know, that's what everybody's waiting for. They're on pins and needles, frankly. Well, of course, they're waiting for <laughs> well, your, your opinion. But seriously, back, back to the Rob, guest here. Rob did a fantastic <laughs> job filling in. Uh, he was an amazing guest and it was awesome to watch, though while I was watching, I kept thinking, how much I dreaded not being on the show because you really start to miss it when you're watching other people, you know, do it. So uh, Rob did a great job, though. And thank you, Rocco, for covering due to my illness and making it such a sincere approach that you have here. I got you, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Stuart. So you, your podcast, you've done many live shows. So tell me about the live shows. How How's that? Is it harder? Is it more fun? The, um, the live shows are a very different kind of a vibe. We started doing them with Lug Radio. Um, the reason they very first came about, they used to be here in the UK, there was a thing called the Linux Expo, which was, they hired out Olympia, huge, great big exhibition hall in London. And it was all very corporate. You went in, there were stands from various different places and so on and so forth. And we'd go down because it was a Linux conference and it was in the UK, right? Not that many of them, especially back then, right. 2000, 2002 or whatever. So we go down there, but it turned out that the fun bit, was never going and looking at the stands and presentations of this this big mainframe thing or this latest blade server or whatever. It was always hanging out with your friends in the Hand and Flower pub across the road. <laughs> and we said, what about if we had a conference that was just that? <laughs> just all the fun bit. And so we did the first Lug Radio Live, uh, which was 2005, I think. Um 
that went well. I mean, we, we had no idea what was going to happen. We had space for, I think, 250 people. And we thought, well, we're probably going to get about 60. So we said to the venue, hey, uh, we'll probably get, you know, 60 or 70 people or whatever. So, and there was a bar built into the venue. It was actually in the Molyneux, which is a football stadium. Uh, so it was in the terrace bar in the football stadium. And we said, we'll probably get 50, 60 people. And 220, 230 turned Oh, up. my goodness. Wow. And they'd only put one member of staff behind the bar because we told them <laughs> that there was going to be 60 people if we were lucky. Um, so they were quite cross about that. I'm <laughs> sure. But, um, but yeah, basically, it's doing live shows is great fun. Um, for Bad Vault, um, like Radio Live was a conference organised by us. Um, it was either one or two days. Um, you had tracks of talks and all the speakers and an exhibition and everything. For Bad Voltage, we haven't done that. What we've done is we've done the Bad Voltage live show at other people's conferences. Right. So, uh, so we've done it a few times at scale, the Southern California Linux Expo in, which is in Pasadena, which is excellent. And we've done it at Open NMS as well. We're invited there um, and we just go and do a live show for shows normally an hour or so long. And it's, it's amazing fun. We tend to go a bit overboard planning things. Um, but that's what makes it fun. I mean, the, if you literally just got the three of us on stage sitting there in chairs doing the show, you might as well just listen to the podcast. So we do try and do something a little bit more spectacular. So we've had um remotely piloted robots and we had a shower <laughs> on stage one year. A shower um, on stage. We did. That, that, was, that was the first scale. Um event and that was fabulous um and we've had um live game shows and we had me in a bright orange suit and everything it was fabulous so nice. so yeah so that that's really good fun we um we'll go to if someone invites us to a conference um we'll go there do a live show we're currently kicking around ideas for where would be good to do that um over the next year 2018 oh that sounds like a blast yeah um and people who go seem to Seem to rather enjoy them as well, which is good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So yeah, that's, that's what we've done. That's what we've done with the live shows. So that's good fun. Nice. So you obviously have had a long history. Your show can hit every topic, but you've had a long history with Linux and development. And we went through your whole resume there. Uh, I was looking <laughs> at some of your prior interviews and it, you were talking about finding Linux back in the nineties when you were in college or uh, yeah. what do you guys call it over there? University? University. <laughs> there you yes. go. University. <laughs> so, and you talked about the, your love for the idea of open source itself. What, what was it though? I mean, as a college kid, when I'm thinking back at that age, I was just like, well, what's the mainstream cool kids doing? What, what made you go, Hey, I'm going to do something different. This is my passion. I love open source. What was it that drove that for you? I'm I'm not very good at being a mainstream cool kid. So, <laughs> um, I think I think if you'd have asked me then, I wouldn't have been able to properly articulate it. Looking back on it with twenty years of of insight into the way I think, mm-hmm. one of the things that most frustrates me about technical things, technology generally, is when I feel like I ought to be able to do a thing but I'm blocked from doing so for some non-technical reason. <laughs> you know? Yep. Yep. It's like this thing, I should be able to do that, 
but I'm just arbitrarily not allowed. Someone's <laughs> built a little wall which says you can't do that because it competes with our business model or because um we've just decided you're not allowed or whatever. And open source essentially gave me the ability to to avoid that kind of problem. They, they weren't those kind of roadblocks in place to begin with. And if someone tried to put them in, you could just work around them. Well, you know, so the idea that I don't have to jailbreak a device to make it useful. Right. You know, and, and, and again, if you'd have asked me when I was 20, I, it, I probably wouldn't have realized, I probably wouldn't have thought that that's what the issue was. But I think in retrospect, that's, that sense of, I'm much more annoyed by things that feel like they ought to work and then I'm just banned from them right. than things that don't work at all. So if someone says, but your Linux desktop can't, it can't run Photoshop or whatever. How do you manage? I'm like, yeah, but that's because I haven't got it. It's not because I, I could have it, but I've been banned from it. It just hasn't happened yet. Right. Right. Yep. So, which, which is a fairly fine line to draw, I appreciate, and it's sophistry, if nothing else. But that, that's kind of the way I feel about it. I, I like, I like not being blocked, or I very much dislike being blocked, put it that way. Now, did you find your conversations with friends and everything about Linux at that time or open source as a whole was more like, well, why are you doing that? Or we're using something else? Or were people really receptive back then to, hey, you're doing this, let me check it out and, join with you on the bandwagon i think i you talk about the late 90s and then early 2000s um i had two entirely separate into entirely disjoint groups of friends (laughs) uh you had people i hung out with and talked about linux with Uh and then everyone else (laughs) 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 and i mean but um now we, we are now in a situation where uh, computers are an essential tool for the universe. Everyone's got a smartphone, which is considerably more powerful than every computer I've had up until the last two or three. <laughs> um, people understand what apps are, what technology is, the internet, the works. Right. Um, but then, you know, um, 1995 or 1997 or 1999 or whatever, computers were a thing that computer people used and that you type letters on. That's right. Yeah. And that was it. So there wasn't really anything to talk about. If I'd have sat down with someone and said, Hey, you should, you should, you should try using Linux. They'd have looked at me like, if you went up to someone who, who happens to own a car and said, this is the type of carburetor you should be using in your car. They'd yep. look at you like, are you a crazy person? Shut <laughs> up. Why do I even want to talk about this? Well, I was going to say that one group is, was probably much smaller than the other group. <laughs> <laughs> that is absolutely the truth. Yes. So. Besides, um, I mean, Linux has changed tremendously since the 90s to yeah. today. I mean, it's, it was, it, I mean, everything obviously was very different back then, but Linux is, we kind of refer to that era in one of our last discussions as the middle ages of, uh, Linux, you know, because everything would have been very much terminal based, I would imagine back then. Oh, oh, back then, yes. Um, yeah. I, I, I remember fighting for things to get X to start up, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> that was a remarkable thing in itself. And, and then hoping that one day you might get wireless. Right. Well, what, what was, was your first distro? Ooh, um, it depends on your point of view. The first, Unix-like thing I ran on my own hardware. It wasn't actually Linux at all. It was Minix. Um, because I had a 286 and Linux didn't run on them. 
huge, great big beast of a machine, which was wow. um, steel and had, had one of those big <laughs> chunk switches like you were turning the nuclear reactor on. <laughs> yeah. um, and that and that ran Minix. Um, but then my first Linux distribution was Slackware. Um, people who are around back then and using it will remember the A series and N series floppy disks. So you got a stack of floppy disks. The A series was the core operating system, and that was about 10 disks, I think. And then the N series was networking stuff, the things that actually give it networking at all. And that was another six or seven floppy disks. You had to sit there and feed them all in one at a time to install it. Yep. Total nightmare. I always say the kids of today will never understand the joy of installing Wing Commander on 20 hard disks. I mean, there was just nothing more joyful than insert disk 7 of 20, insert disk 8 of 20. And then when it finally ran, you got all the dependencies uh, figured out. Uh, you know, what? A, what? A, you really worked for it. You earned your game <laughs> at that point. You, I, I, I would certainly agree. I mean, I, I, I rather prefer the world that we have now, but. <laughs> <laughs> but it was an interesting time nonetheless. <laughs> so in looking through your resume, obviously you've been a very busy guy. What are you working on right now? Oh, blimey, loads of stuff. Um, a lot of what I work on is work for clients, which obviously can't talk about because I'm normally NDA'd or whatever. But <laughs> in terms of, um, Fun little interesting projects. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been I've been playing with the thing. Um, every year I organise a pub crawl um, in but here in Birmingham in the UK right? mm-hmm. for, for the tech community. We go around various different places, um, and people sort of drop in and then drop out at particular times. You know, someone can say, oh, "I'll just shut up for a couple of hours in the afternoon." You don't have to stick it out for the full twelve hours. <laughs> <Wow>. and, <laughs> um, uh, but because of that, people need to know where we are. So I thought, here is an idea. Wouldn't it be cool if I had a map on the website and then something on my phone which just quietly chucked up my location that day, uh, you know, every five minutes or whatever that day, and then it plotted it on the map and showed which pubs we'd been into and which ones we hadn't and so on and so forth. So I'd been experimenting with that. And what I wanted to find was someone had already written a piece of software which would do this, an app on the phone, which I could then just grab the location out of and then start plotting it on maps and so on. So that's been the project for the last couple of days. That is um, such a cool idea. And um, it seems to work really well. I need to actually go and walk around town to test it, but it's really cold. So I didn't do it. <laughs> it's actually snowing right here. <laughs> well, th- this is this is the depressing thing. Um, it's been snowing here as well. But if you talk to you know people in America and say it's been snowing, it's maybe two inches of snow. Everyone just laughs at you. Whereas... <laughs> Here, that's a major national disaster. They, <laughs> they shut the schools. For about we're two we're and getting half two inches, inches right now. <laughs> yeah. And, and then, and then you say, Hey, Americans, when they shut the school, it's been snowing that much. You're like, and you don't like, dude, seriously, serious snow is when you can't find the car in the middle. <laughs> well, you've got isn't snow. Just looking at um, pictures of pictures people are sending me of two feet of snow or something. Well, see, Americans make fun of each other, too, depending on where you live. Because I'm in Georgia, so six inches of snow shut down the entire city, as it did last week, which Rocco was talking about. But in other parts of the country, that would be, like, laughable. Like, yeah, okay, so what? Six inches of snow. Yeah, go, so go to work. I'm farther north in Pennsylvania, so, you know, obviously a foot or two of snow would be a big storm, but it's not uncommon. Then you go further up to New York State, and it, that's what they get all the time. So it's like... <laughs> That's yeah. A photo of snow here would be like that film, The Day After Tomorrow, the <laughs> end of the world. 
two uh, uh, two feet of snow in Buffalo would be like an hour delay for school. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, if that's mad. But yes, um, so yeah, so I haven't I haven't gone out and tested that, um, because because it's freezing cold and I'm a big win. But <laughs> but that's um one of the things, and I've got a bunch of other sort of bubbling under projects. One of the things that I'm quite interested in at the moment is um voice assistance, Amazon Alexa. Right. Shut up, Alexa. <laughs> <laughs> I keep forgetting. Yeah, you know, it, 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 it's like all the timing it, it, on that. It's the world's worst school thing where you can't talk about it behind its back because it knows. And right. it's listening. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, but the idea of doing things through that, I think, is fascinating. I've done a couple of talks about it, and I think it's a really interesting topic. Okay, so, so how do you feel about that, Stuart? I mean, th- this device. Uh, the the echo is constantly listening, and in yep. fact, you can log into Amazon and through a back portal that they have, and go listen to all the recordings that it's recorded. And what I found out in yep. experimenting with it is that sometimes it's recording when you haven't asked it to record, but it's very short bits. Now it does that, I think, because you're saying something else, like I don't know, that's similar to Alexa, so it kind of comes yes. on and starts listening. And so I noticed, you know, hearing, you know, the kids in the background or the television randomly when I was listening to the recording from a privacy standpoint, I love the idea of it. I love the technology, but I fear what could be done with this. You think it's an exaggeration or who cares? This technology is cool. Use it anyway. Um, there is, there is some truth in the worry, but I, um, the reason I bought into this and I'm happy to go with this plan is well there are there are essentially two reasons. The first one is yes, you've got to say the wake word first. And I have mine go do do when it recognizes the wake word. So okay. for instance, I, I, I just I just mentioned Lexi yeah. <laughs> in, in conversation and I heard the noise. So I, I know that it's picked up that I've said that and is recording. So I'm not then immediately gonna start reciting, you know, my bank's pin number or something. <laughs> um <clears throat> I mean, I can't technically prove that the Amazon people aren't lying to me about it. It might, it may record and ship all my data up to the cloud the whole time. But uh-huh. to be honest with you, if someone wanted to record everything I was saying, they wouldn't bother to invent a new device and then convince me to buy it for 50 quid and then put it in my living room where we can just hear things in my living room. They tap this, <laughs> which yeah. is in my pocket all, all the time. time. Yep. Right. Um, and that's a million times more worrying. And I see a whole bunch of people going, oh, but I don't trust um, my voices, my, my Google Home or whatever. It might be shipping everything I say. I'll be like, but you know, your phone could be doing that too. Yeah. And your phone will do it everywhere. It won't just do it in the living room. It'll do it absolutely everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. And it knows where you've gone. And it knows most of what you're searching for. And I don't get, if you're going to make the argument that um, Amazon are being deliberately mendacious, here they're not a, you know this is not a bug or an accident they are explicitly exfiltrating sound from your thing when you don't want them to mm-hmm. then they're lying to you about it then how do you know google or apple aren't lying to you as well yeah yeah so that, it's a big that's how i kind hole. of yeah that's how i justified it to myself <laughs> <laughs> so so you're on board with it you love it and you said you were doing something with the app yeah um i've <sighs> can't talk about it too much because it's big surprise okay, <laughs> when okay. i get it working um but at the moment um 
Homer systems are very much oriented around ask a question, get a simple answer. And there are some people exploring the use of it for things like games, right? which is great. But all the games on it are bobbins. They're just really rubbish. Not good <laughs> at all. Um, they're very formulaic. Um, do this, then do that. Right. Choose your own adventure type things. Right. And we can be so much more sophisticated than that, both in the writing and in the choices and the way everything's presented and so on and so forth. And we've seen, if you look at stuff like uh, Twine, for example, do you know about uh-huh. Twine? No, not really. No. Right. So um, it's basically a framework for building essentially choose your own adventure type games nice. where where you're you're not interactive fiction, but you're not typing in commands or things to say. You're essentially clicking links, following following through a a a a, a story. Right. Right. Um, but. One of the advantages with that is it's very easy to write twine games. And because of that, it opened up this whole world of people who wouldn't have been able to sit down and write a game before because you had to do it with programming. Right. But twine is more like, more like authoring. It's more like writing a book. Nice. Except that you've got just enough interactivity in there to go, okay, when, uh, once they've read this thing, then decide, do they want to go here or here? So it's essentially just fiction writing, but with branches, basically. Right. Um, oh, I love the Choose Your Own Adventure books. I mean, yeah. They were fantastic. So I could definitely see the crossover here. Yeah, totally. And so Twine has opened up this whole new era of interactive fiction over and above text adventures that we had before where, you know, hit orc with sword kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and... That, to me, feels like something where it hasn't made the break into voice assistance yet, but it feels very much like an area that it could go into. Yeah. Well, that would be a um, So I'm, 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 I appreciate I'm being deliberately enigmatic about this, but um, I'm exploring things in that area. <laughs> I think that's awesome. What a great way. I mean, I, I'm with you that on one aspect of it, it's one of those things from a security standpoint where I'm constantly like, eh. But do I have one and have played with it? Well, from a geek technology standpoint, of course. And it fascinates me. It it fascinates me how quickly it can understand and interpret what it wants. And my yeah. three and four year old, how fast they figured out how to use it. I mean, they'll they'll start and stop music and skip our own songs in a second. I should have lied to him and told him the name was Stuart instead of uh, the other name. <laughs> hey, if I yell Alexa loud enough, will it kick yours off? No, because I've got headphones on. <laughs> Man. All right. So going back to the podcast, um, it's a question I've always tried to listen to episodes to find out, but never found out. Um, you're known as Ack. So where, where did you get that and why is that? What is that for? Oh, that's historical reasons. Um, it's short for Aquarius. Um, and when I was young and foolish and had a peanut for a brain, so about <laughs> 18 or 19 or so, um, people used to hang out on IRC. This is back when I was at a university at a college. Oh, yeah. IRC. Uh, and, um, people hung out on IRC all the time, but everyone went by handles, nicknames. I, I mean, you know, and, and this is the Linux community, so they're all keyboard warrior types. Right. So, you got people calling themselves renegade chemist or something, <laughs> least renegade guy you've ever imagined in your entire life, right? Um, renegade chemist. 
There was actually a guy called Renegade Cage or, or, or Axe Maniac or whatever. You right. know? Yeah. Ter- never terribly... held an axe in his life. Exactly. <laughs> terribly hardcore names, terribly unhardcore person behind the keyboard. Um, so because I didn't handle, I called myself Aquarius because it's my star sign. Right. Um, and it was easy to sign off with it, uh, at the end of Ustep posts and stuff like that. Um, and that kind of stuck around. Um, after that, I joined, I, I joined the Linux user group. That's where I met John O'Bacon. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point, people, people were still calling me back. Right. And so people who knew me back then, Still occasionally remember it. John O's the main one, to be honest. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's a childish nickname, really. Um, but it stuck around. There you go. So So that's, that's on your social media, since we're on that line of questioning, there's this brilliant picture of you with a sad face. I have to know the story (laughs) behind the sad face. That was, this is the disappointing thing, right? But, um, uh, so I used to be involved, still am a bit involved, or I never was heavily involved, but a bit involved with the Gnome project. Uh-huh. And they had a thing called Planet Gnome, which aggregated people's blogs back when people used to write blog posts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and what that did was it pulled in posts from all sorts of members of the Gnome community. Uh, so you could just subscribe to Planet Gnome and then read everyone's blogs and go and subscribe to more yourself. Great right. idea. Um, and next to each, Next to each person's post, they had a little floating head of each person, a uh-huh. picture. It was, it was called a Hakagotchi. <laughs> um, okay. And so I had to, I, I had to make one, um, of those. So I cut around a picture that I had at the time, which was that picture. Uh-huh. So I've still got the Hakagotchi, <laughs> but I don't remember which picture it came from about 10 years ago or whatever. <laughs> um, and, and I've looked and I can't find it. I just, so I don't actually remember why I was pulling the face. The why time. you were sad. That's what we wanted to know. Why were you sad so we could comfort you? It's disappointingly, I don't actually know. I'm terribly sorry. I, I, I wish I had a better story. Oh my God. I, mean, I could make something up if you like. But... Yeah, maybe you had to use Windows for a week or something. We're never going to know. So sad. I know. It, it, it is lost to history. It's like Tomb Carmoon's tomb. I'm terribly sorry. <laughs> Okay, so you were formerly a member of Canonical. So was. what was that whole experience like? Canonical's a fascinating place. It's full of amazing people. Um, I've rarely, I was going to say rarely, but maybe never been in a place which is so full of concentrated brain power, brilliance, working wow. on things. Um it's sort of place where um, anything you wanted to do, you could say, I'm not sure how to do this. And someone would say, ah, but you want to talk to them. They know how to do it. And then you talk to them and they'd be total world expert in it. And everyone there really hung together and was great. It, a real sense of camaraderie, to use the word that I used earlier. Yep. Um, <laughs> and that was lovely. Uh, I really enjoyed that. Um, Dave, can I call... Uh, these days, as um, you, you'll have seen Mark's post and so on, looking for the road to profitability and right. aiming towards an IPO and so on and so forth. And that's changed things quite a lot, I suspect. Um, but fortunately, by the time the recent round of layoffs came about, which I believe made everyone very sad and very justifiably so, I was long right. gone. So, cause I left, I left in 2000 and 
2013, I think. Yes, I'd have to check. Well, 2013 or 2014, one or the other. 2013, I think. You described it, and other people that have worked there that I've talked to described it as like a family atmosphere type thing. Yes. So well, do you think that um, with the goals changing, do you think that will change as well? Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if that changes. Um, part of what happened is because a whole lot of people left, mm. um, well, but I say left like it like it was voluntary. A whole lot of people were laid off. Yeah, that yeah. will have inevitably disrupted that kind of nurturing internal atmosphere between you and your colleagues, people at your level. There's there, there's always been something of a disconnect between people on the shop floor and management. Right. But um, but the people who are working actually out there at the coalface, sends you. Um, there was always a very close knit atmosphere, and that's probably quite a lot less now because a lot of your friends or the people you turn to or work with are gone. Right. Um, do you, do you some, think becoming like a public IP and having some more money would have stopped something like that? Did they not make that decision soon enough? Is that a good move for them? A lot of people are rumoring they could become public. Um, well, that's that's the goal. Mark has explicitly talked about an IPO mm-hmm. um, or um, being acquired or something like that, but an IPO is what they're aiming for. Um the the issue is one one of the nice things about Canonical from a working there and from what they did point of view, from a hacker's point of view, from our point of view, right. mm-hmm. was that they were working on things that made our lives great. Um, so the Ubuntu desktop, which I use every day, I'm sitting here looking at my Ubuntu desktop um, and have used it since basically since it existed. They were building something which made my life great. I wasn't paying them any money for it. And neither was anybody else. So, right. so the the issue comes when you say, oh, you know, if they had gone public, would they do that? Um, would it have changed that atmosphere? It almost certainly would, because one of the things that's become clear is that there is a fairly big mismatch between what I would like people to do and what makes money. Yeah. Right. Which is why there's, um, I mean, Red Hat, two, three, five billion dollar company or whatever, but all the stuff they do is big servers. Like whatever, I know there are lots of people who care about this stuff, but not me. Right, I, I'm, I'm a client. I'm a client guy. So, right, me as well. I'm, I'm yeah, I'm desktop, phone, web, that sort of thing. But no, I'm not really. I, I use servers a lot, and that's great. And they're all Ubuntu servers, but it's it's not my field of interest. Um, the desktop stuff doesn't pay that well. <laughs> right. And well, so, it's, and so there is that mismatch. to me that they, you know, because a lot of people say the way to make money in open source is they go after the businesses. So the client stuff is free. Like you said, we use this stuff. We love it. Now, I work for a major company in the telecom industry, and we obviously a lot of our back end servers are Unix or Linux based that run uh, a lot of the technology behind the scenes that people love. With that being said, a lot of the desktop environments and things like that are your typical Windows environments. Now, when you have any big business, I don't care what company you work for right now, everybody's about streamlining and cutting costs. What I've never seen is companies like Canonical or stuff come to us, right? We're one of the major players in the world and say, hey, what if we got your desktops in here or built this? Windows is always there. Microsoft is always there, right, to shove some new stuff down people's throats. But they just don't seem to do a good job 
to go after those companies when from a licensing standpoint, you could save lots of money. Now, I'll tell you who does knock on the door a lot now is Google. Right, they're coming to offer all of their applications and everything for as a non-licensing thing. But I can't, for the life of me, understand why Canonical hasn't, you know, and other groups haven't gone after that market because it's I, it's there. Uh, well, believe me, I can tell you that they're going after. They might not be doing a very good job of it, right. but this is what the sales team is for, um, and they were doing it all the time. Right, gotcha. <laughs> um, certainly, when I was, I mean, I I don't get to see it from the inside anymore. Right. But certainly the uh, sales team, uh, the the desktop sales team were primarily pursuing enterprise deployments. Right. They weren't they weren't trying to work out a way to make us pay for um pay for the software. That that was a completely different thing, which we can talk about in a bit. But that but certainly they were going after and were getting a lot of enterprise sales. Um, the fact that they didn't come to you is possibly indicative of the fact that they could have done better there. I don't know. You need to talk to a salesperson about that. Sales no, is I was just surprised, not necessarily <laughs> up on Canonical for it. I was just surprised I've not seen any company from the open source community outside of Google, if you'd consider that open source sort of, uh, trying to tackle that, you know, being one of the players. And and that doesn't mean that's the situation everywhere, uh, but it's just interesting because I would think that would be a major play that we would have, have you? It might be worth, you know, contacting a couple of, couple of people uh, a couple of large distributions and saying hey we, we appear to be a low-hanging <laughs> fruit ready to be plucked send the guy right, in right. if you would please if you, sorry it's not guys send a person in if you if you could just send someone from your sales team right um to talk to this person now i'm happy to make an introduction or something i think you could have a useful conversation yeah absolutely let's make it so so one of the projects you worked on while you were there was the ubuntu one project right and at that time they had a file as a part of the service, a file upload service, and a music store. When I was reading this, yep. uh, my story is I've come into Linux really in just in, in a year or so, so I'm not, I don't have the experiences a lot of you guys have had with kind of growing up with Linux or using it for a long period of time. So I didn't get the joys of seeing that existence, but when I was reading about it, I was like, this is awesome. Why don't we have this? What happened? Ah, the story of Ubuntu 1. Um... So, we'll take those two parts separately. So you had um, the file sync service, which was essentially the same thing as Dropbox. You know, it's, it's synchronized yep. files. You you save a file here, it uploaded it, put files in the cloud, it downloaded it, um, downloaded them, and then the music store. Uh, there's a couple of different angles, a couple of different aspects, ways to ways to look at this, angles to look at this from. One of them is that. It took us a long time to get the software right. Mm -hmm. um, and when it was first released, it probably wasn't good enough because we because we were building a consumer service. It wasn't something where you expected to download and compile it from GitHub. And so this is the thing where we're saying this is not like your, you know, your typical open source. If it breaks, you get to keep both pieces, no warranty stuff. This is a real service, which we would like you to pay us money for. Mm -hmm. But in return, the, the other half of the covenant is then we deliver you something which works really well. You know, um, and it wasn't as good as it could have been, unfortunately. Um, I don't know what we'd have done if we had our time over again. Um, it, it got good, but by the time it had got good, there were too many stories out there going, file sync, 
doesn't seem that reliable to me. Gotcha. Um, and this is a, you know, you only get one chance to make a first impression thing. And we probably released it too early or um, made some mistakes about the way we positioned it or whatever. Do you find that so, as a reoccurring issue in the open source platform where they're talking distro based or some of the software they're releasing that they release things too early? Depends what kind of software you're writing. If you're building something where you say, this is open source, essentially you're all beta testers. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm putting it out there. If it breaks, it's not my problem. You, it's your choice to use it or not to use it. Um, at that point, you can release as early as you like. If things doesn't work, you go, it's probably not even meant to work. <laughs> um, <laughs> the obvious downside of that is that that's what people who don't use Linux hate about Linux. That you show up and half your stuff doesn't work. And then we right. say, but this doesn't work. They go, well, there's no expectation that it will work. It's open source, right? right. File a bug. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's um, the best thing to tell a new user, file a bug. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> the flip side of that is that if you say, no, we're going to make it all be real, we're going we're to sit down, we're going to work on this for a long time until it's robust and it's brilliant and it delivers the, the a great experience, you can do that. But it's then hard to work out how you convince people to do that. Right. How you convince people to work on this because you can't pay them because you haven't got any revenue stream because you haven't released any software. So you've got to, you, you've got to say to people, if you're interested in being an open source developer, you have to come and work on this thing where we're not going to release it until it's ready. And they go, but that's not very open sourcey, is it? <laughs> <laughs> and you say, well, no, it isn't. And they go, well, in that case, I'm not interested in working on this project. You can't excite community interest in a project you have not released because gotcha. it doesn't have a community. Right. And you can't excite paid developer interest in a project that you have not released because you haven't got a revenue stream. Right. Um, you can do it if you, if you are say canonical, so you've got revenue streams from elsewhere, you can then build software or if you're, uh, Microsoft or if you're Apple or if you're Google or whatever, if you're then you can build wealthy. stuff. <laughs> um, well, that's canonical, right? <laughs> Pretty um, much. <laughs> um, I mean, canonical is, well, I mean, I don't know the details of the accounts and I never did, but it's my understanding that if Canonical wanted to be self-financing, it could be. It brings in revenue enough to cover the stuff that they need to do to maintain that revenue. The reason Canonical is not, uh, Canonical spends more than it brings in is because they keep doing new stuff over and above because that's the direction Mark wants to take it in or what makes sense for the market or whatever. So things like building up into one was, uh, but that was, um, part of the, how do we make money from open source thing? You, um, the traditional way has been, you know, you give away the software and you sell services. Mm. This, uh, this is a, um, give away a razor and sell razor blades model. Right. And that was kind of what Ubuntu one would be, that it was a, uh, a consumer service. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, um, the team were cool and we got a lot of stuff built. But yeah, it got a reputation for being a bit unreliable in file sync and a reasonably justified reputation, um, early on. And it was hard to shake that. And said, we want you to come back and finish this project, would you? I don't think you could finish it under that name because it's already got the reputation. Um, (laughs) in the same, in the same way that if you, um, if you ask um, people who don't use Ubuntu, what the deal is Ubuntu? They go, oh, it's got spyware in the dash, isn't it? You're like, no. First of all, it hardly ever did. And secondly, that's gone away for years. And it was massively over-exaggerated at the time. It makes you really cross. Sort of. um, so, which leads us neatly onto the music store. 
Now, right. the, the idea behind the music store was that you could buy uh, music on, uh, you know, in a in a nice application on desktop. Essentially, the iTunes experience, right? You get right. an application on desktop, you can buy a thing, play previews, download it. You could buy it and it would ship it to you with Ubuntu One, so it was on all your devices. You could stream from the cloud music that you bought or music that you'd uploaded, all this kind of thing. The file sync stuff, I think it picked up a reputation of being unreliable because certainly in the early days and maybe the medium days, it was. Right. The music store, on the other hand, um, to some extent it relied on file sync and therefore the fact that file sync was unreliable bled over into the music store. But the other problem with the music store was that a whole bunch of people went, but that's not. That's not actually a canonical thing at all. It's just a rebranded seven digital store. As if what we were supposed to do was become a record label. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's the sort of thing, I mean, it very much infuriates me about things like, about the reaction to people like System 76 as well. Mm-hmm. That someone will say, but they're not making them at all, but they're just selling rebadged Clevo laptops. Now, ignore the fact that they're now changing away from doing that. But I don't understand why that's a problem. I don't right. either. No, I mean, nobody make, I mean, well, with the exception of either Asus or Acer, I forget which one it is. Every person you've ever, every company you've ever bought a laptop off didn't make that laptop. That's They're right. all made by ODMs. Yep. So the, the companies you buy from, Lenovo or Toshiba or Dell or whoever, um, they are OEMs, original equipment manufacturers, but the things are actually made by ODMs, by Quant or Foxconn or whoever. And so everyone's doing it. I don't understand why people like System76 get a massive kicking for this. Yeah. And then you just go out and buy a Toshiba laptop with Windows on and install Linux yourself. <laughs> it drives me crazy. We do get a lot of comments on that. And we did get some comments when we did uh, the Station X episode. We got some yeah. of those comments. So Yeah. Yes. And Station X are small and new. But yeah. I, I mean... I, I don't understand it. Nobody makes phone laptops. It drives me nuts. And the music store got, I believe, some of that unfairly. That people say, well, it's just a rebranded seven digital store. Why wouldn't I just go and buy from seven digital? And part of the answer is because then you're supporting Ubuntu rather than supporting seven digital, right? Yeah. And <laughs> um, yeah. you're supporting the idea that you've got an application on your desktop, which is deliberately tailored to you and to your experience and to your desktop rather than attempting to survive on someone else's dime. You know, where they say, oh, we, we haven't got a downloader for Linux. We've got one for, for Windows and for Mac, but we don't support Linux. Right. Yeah, well, I don't understand why you say, well, in that case, we should give those people money. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah I, and, and that's, that's the, the I, frustrating thing is, you know, to me, that is such a, is such a brilliant idea to find things like music, maybe even books or other things that I could buy from a company like Canonical that I know supports Linux. It gives me an excuse to give them money versus giving it to somebody else. It could be a rebranding. I don't care. It could be three cents more than everybody else. I just want to know my money's going towards something I personally believe in and helps that, that, that company yes. versus giving it away to Apple, which is about to hit a trillion dollars. They don't need my music money. You know, they're, they're this, doing just fine. So, you know, and, and so when people are and this does happen in a lot of communities, but in Linux, it could be very aggressive with some of the people who've been in it for a while. Believe me, I know from my YouTube channel, uh, they are very peculiar about certain things and how certain things need to be done. And, 
in some ways, I know deep down they probably think they're doing right by bringing that stuff out, but deep down they're actually hindering Linux from growing and from people investing it. The, the reality is you've got to have a way to make money for these companies to survive or otherwise you have what just happened is layoffs, right? Which everybody has to deal with in every industry and you have people not able to make a living and you have people doing this on the side and throwing stuff out when they can and not really focusing their attention on it. So you get half-baked products. So you want a revenue stream to be available for those who are doing magnificent things. And I think people need to really open their eyes to that as a whole in the Linux community to say, hey, it's it's okay to give money, spend money, rebrand things to I, spend money for Linux. Yeah. I, and to some extent, I think the – I'm generalizing about the Linux community as a whole here, which is a dodgy thing to do because there may not be any such thing. Yeah. But – I do kind of have the feeling that we systematically undervalue well-built things. Mm -hmm. um, I would very much like to see a world in which we raise the quality, the average quality of the software on my desktop by – if something comes out and it's not very good, we don't go, oh, well, okay, it's being worked on and it will get better. We say, it's not good enough. Please go away and come back when it's better. Yeah. But then when something is good, we go, that is a good thing. That's really good. Let's celebrate its positives and work on the negatives mm -hmm. rather than accentuating its negatives. Um, it's, it's a very different feel to some other platforms where, um, I'm trying to think of a way of describing this properly. If you look at, say, the elementary project, right? Okay. They are very much attempting to foster a culture. Mm -hmm. Where people value things like integration into the desktop. Right. Um, where, 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 where ideally what would happen is an app, if an app comes along and it doesn't integrate properly into the elementary desktop, then elementary users will say, we do not want this thing. Okay. It's, it's not for us. It's obviously built for some other platform. Now right. that consciously limits their collection of applications and their, their software center has not got very many apps in it, but you right. know they're all built for elementary. So you have, so they are attempting with some success, but not all success right. to build, build that into the culture. Mm. The idea that that is valued, right? That when people build an application, the fact that it integrates into your desktop is not some optional extra you bolt on for a laugh. It's a critical part of the thing. I'll tell you a little story, right? I have um, a font manager application. I've got a load of fonts installed. Right. Um, and and so I have a font manager application. It, it, um, it's just in the Ubuntu archives. Um, and it gives me the ability to invent collections, just basically bags of fonts that I can give names to. So I've got one called Space Filling and one called Thin and um, mm -hmm. one called, I think there's one called Jaunty. You know, sort of, sort of happy Mary Poppins sort of font. <laughs> <Mary Poppins. laughs> and and so if I'm looking for something to go on a a a poster or something like that, then I've got a sense of which sort of fonts are very display fonts, which fonts are very body text fonts, so on and so forth. Right. I thought, I'll tell you what would be handy. What about if um we we patch the the font chooser in applications so that it can pick up the categories from my font manager application. Nice. So that way I go into Inkscape or LibreOffice or whatever I'm, you know, the GIMP or whatever I'm designing a thing in. 
And yeah. when I when I drop down the fonts, it shows me my list of categories. And then I can open up one of my categories and it shows me the fonts in it. That would be the handiest thing imaginable. Right? Yep. Um can't do that at all. Because there largely isn't a standard font chooser widget. Um, but more importantly, even if there was, people wouldn't use it anyway. Right. Because everyone writes their own thing all the flaming time. <laughs> Which means that our, our problem as, uh, as, as a, as a desktop, as a community, as a user experience is that everything's only 80% finished. Yeah. Um, and the last 20%, we never seem to manage to close that gap. Now, some of that is because people are working hard, but they haven't done the last 20%. And then just as you get close to it, it moves on a bit. Right? Uh, we're, we're, it's the very definition of jam tomorrow, writing a piece of software. But, right. but nonetheless, because everything's only, it's only 80% finished. And, and you can say that's because it's open source or because projects are under-resourced or they don't have a big enough community or whatever. But whatever the reason is, because everything's only 80% finished, it, it makes it quite hard. If you recommend using your Linux distro of choice, Ubuntu or whatever it is, to a, a non-Linux using friend and they try it out, and they come back and go, oh, I just didn't like it, a lot of their sense of dissatisfaction is because of that we've only got the first 80% of everything. So things that you expect to knit together don't because that's in the last 20%. Right. Um, features that you expect to be there aren't there because that's in the last 20%. Right. So, uh, so how do we close that gap? How do we close that 20%? Um, you're not going to like this answer. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I can think of a couple of ways. Send um, your hate mail too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, SIL at cryogenics dog. That's fine. Bring it on. Um, <laughs> um but. There are a couple of approaches. One of them is to essentially rebuild the culture from the ground up. So people value completeness, finishedness, polish in applications as much as they value the fact that it can do the feature if you're paid to hack at it. Right. That's what the elementary project is trying to do, for example, and I respect them for it. Um, a second approach is for someone to put some money into this essentially it was something i i would have always liked canonical to do build a a great set of core applications because then what that does is it says okay these are the core applications these are what you've got to match up to if you're going to build a third-party application and put it on the platform right you know it's got to be as good as this the yes they all fit together um now microsoft never did a very good job of this with office because office was always full of new WYSI stuff, which wouldn't show up until the next version of Windows. So Office was not in itself a good uh, exhibition of the features that your third-party application should live up to because it was all full of mad new stuff. Right. You know, and um, so things like the ribbon didn't show up to other applications until after Word had been released, you know. Right. So, so um, the Office team weren't building on the windows that you had. They were building on the next version of Windows, which you weren't allowed to see because it hadn't right. been released yet. Um, whereas if you look at um, the early MacOS applications built by Apple, the iWork suite, the iLife suite, um, that gave people a target to aim for. You know? 
Yep. Um, so you could say, okay, these all fit together. They all do things the same way. They share a set of UI guidelines. So it's the, so your UI guidelines, your, your HIG, um, human interface guidelines are more than just a website that nobody reads. They are a living, breathing, the, your applications are a living, breathing demonstration of how all that stuff fits together. Right. And I think that's really important. That's the difference. Well, it used to be the difference between iOS and Android. Um, iOS applications were much more consistent. They gave you a much more consistent experience. That's less the case now. Um, and you can make a reasonable argument that it was the case before, not because everyone necessarily bought into it because you didn't have any choice but to buy into it or your app got rejected. But right. nonetheless, um, whether it got that way by people respecting the platform conventions or people being hit with sticks until they paid attention to the platform conventions doesn't make any difference. They paid attention to the platform conventions. Whereas Android developers seem to see fitting in with the platform conventions as as somehow knuckling under to the man. And that was a ter- <laughs> that was a terrible thing to do. And it's their birthright to invent stupid new widgets as much as they like to do things in a weird, confusing way. <laughs> I think even if you think your idea is better, quite often it's a good idea to not do it anyway because consistency is really important. The Linux desktop to me feels like it's been built entirely by people who go, no, I totally reject that idea. <laughs> yes, but I think completely different. I yeah. think that's, ex- I think your idea of maybe a standard set of applications or even backend applications is, is, is good. But I think it, just for that reason, the Linux community would fight against it. Yes. Yep. Um, which is, and the reason I said you won't like the answer is because I think half the problem is the community. Um, we are, um, we, we appear to have built a community who are massively resistant to change, but really annoyed about the way things are. <laughs> <laughs> that makes for a bad situation. Man. <laughs> it's like, you literally can't, I mean, look at Unity, for example. Like, there's nothing but all you heard, um, in the, in the wider world was hatred for Unity. Oh, I, it, I was doing to Linux and, you know, this is a year ago before they made the decision yeah. and it was just, constantly on my channel how crappy unity is this and then as i started getting to use linux now everybody is talking about now that it's gone how great it is and how much they miss it did i mention what i'm running right now (laughs) (laughs) exactly it it is a little bit of like a bipolar disorder where they just uh you know not the community as a whole because it's an amazing event and i don't know how to describe it the linux community is why i stayed with linux it was amazing the rallying around me and the channel and trying to teach me new things and just an amazing, beautiful group of people. But at the same time, you're right. When it comes to change, there seems to be this old school mentality on certain things where they don't see the bigger picture that if you really want to see this grow, you're going to have to change with the times and you're going to have to look at things from a different perspective. And I'm not saying shoving money into it is the answer. I don't know what the answer is specifically, but you can't stand still. I can tell you that you have to be radically different. And whether that's, you know, implementing user ratings properly into software stores so that you have an ability to give feedback, but ultimately the answer to anything is going to be, well, if you don't like it, you fix it. You go fix the code. You do that. And there's some reasonable, there's some, you know, that it's not an unreasonable thing because we're all in an open source community. 
but in ways like I have a full-time job, I have a three and four year old to take care of. I've got podcasts to run a YouTube channel, all these other things, me going to become a programmer to rewrite, you know, liberal office. Cause I don't like a feature of it. Probably not going to happen. So there's got to be a balance there. I mean, it's a fair point, but probably not something I can really partake in. Yeah, so there's got to be some standards and quality, though, that we have, because that is one of the issues. Anytime you do a distro, and Rocco knows I did a dis- nine distro hop in a week <laughs> recently, there's always these little things that seem little but end up throwing off your entire workflow that can drive you nuts because things aren't really completed. They're constantly changing, you know. And so one minute you can install a distro that you love and then you tell your friend to install it, but they do it a week later and it does nothing but crash their system, even though your specs are similar. Because something changed in between that week that caused it to be completely incompatible all of a sudden. You know, there are things like that that are very frustrating. Yeah, and I think um, that that's exactly the point. I'm not sure how you could build... uh, rebuild that culture, build a a new set of applications and a new system. Because people are people who are trying aren't a big enough deal, don't have the resources. I mean I mentioned elementary, but if you look at um Solus as well, which is excellent, right? Um, yes. um but again they don't have the resources to do all of this stuff at once. If I went to right. Ikea and said, hey, Ikea, in addition to all the stuff you're doing, what would be really great is if you built a really good office suite, <laughs> he'd punch me in the face, and then he'd punch me in the face again. He might. He might. <laughs> he might literally, yeah. <clears throat> you know, don't have the resources to do that. Um, and that's that's the issue, because there's hardly any revenue in it. Because, because if someone brought out... Um, a brilliant new office suite, which integrated perfectly into my desktop. A bunch of people would say, well, why do I want that? That integrates with Ubuntu. Ubuntu are doing everything wrong. We don't want that. <laughs> and if you build it so it integrates, per- if you build it so it integrates perfectly into, um, some other desktop, I'm going to go, well, it doesn't integrate into my desktop. So I'm not going to buy it. And I'm not going to buy it anyway. Right. You know? Right. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's the, the question. I'm, I'm not seeing where the resources come from to build this brilliantly consistent, uh, friendly, welcoming experience. So in some ways, the community has been way better, has improved uh, as mm-hmm. far as friendliness and openness. And then in other ways, we got a ways to go yet. Yeah. <laughs> We're still Pretty working much. on it, though. Pretty much. All right. So it was there a big thing in 2017? Uh, in Linux and that you can think of that was like outstanding. This is the big Um, thing for Linux. One up and one down. Um, The down one is obviously canonical dropping Unity. Not necessarily, regardless of your feelings on Unity itself as a project, um, the fact that canonical tried to build a thing and then eventually had to go, we don't have the resources to keep this going or it, it's not profitable enough, or it's not worked out, or whatever complexion you want to put on, the reasons behind it, the fact was that this is a company who attempted to do a thing and could make it work. And if Canonical can't make it work, who the hell's going to manage? <laughs> right. So that's not a good thing. Um, the up thing, I've seen, it feels to me like the Linux gaming scene has picked up quite a lot. Yes. And that's one example. Where I talked about um, changing the culture. Mm-hmm. The idea of 
you know, proprietary games running on Linux would have been anathema 10 years ago. But now you've got a whole bunch of people like, well, I don't care about any of these arguments about the GPL, whatever, I don't know what that is. But I've got Steam on my Linux desktop and I can play games. How yeah. great and, is that? <laughs> and, and there's a culture that, you know, you, you buy a game, you pay money for it and it goes to, uh-huh. goes, goes to the developers and you get good support and everything works. And that's fabulous. I mean, it's still, it's still semi-niche. Steam figures are two, three percent. And if you look at, um, yeah. Yama, um, gaming on Linux, those figures have actually dropped, but they've dropped because a load more people have come into Steam who aren't Linux, not because the actual Linux numbers have dropped. Yeah, specifically Which PUBG is. in China, Chinese. Yes. Users. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that to me feels like a good thing because that's, that's a, to some extent at least, a separate community of people with a different culture. Yeah. So it's not necessarily trying to rehabilitate the culture that we've already got. Um, it's just, you just define a new thing. It's like I said about elementary or solus or so on and so forth. It's the same way that Apple are now worth a trillion dollars, as you mentioned, and took over from Microsoft as the place where everything goes on. Because mm-hmm. Apple spent 25 years attempting to beat Microsoft on the desktop, couldn't do it because of the entrenched advantage. Right. But you invent a whole new platform where Microsoft aren't dominant already. Yep. And at that point, you're not spending your whole time fighting it the fact that no one will even take your phone call. Exactly. And to some extent, that's what's happened here. Instead of saying, okay, what we need to do is convince everyone who's currently using Linux that proprietary games are okay, and then we still need to start working out ways of getting those proprietary games into the Debian non-free archives so people can install them with devs, you just go, we're going to invent Steam and build the Steam community. And if literally no one who currently uses Linux moves over to it, we don't care. <laughs> right. And, and that worked out, okay, it's, it's almost always better if you're fighting an incumbent to come up with something they can't fight against. Not, not that they're choosing not to fight against or that you think you might win. Pick an area where they can't fight against you. And one good way of doing that is by essentially inventing a new platform or a new ecosystem or something where they're not already dominant. Right. I think, you know, when I think about gaming and Linux in that, and we'll get into this in a little bit, but Vulkan is an interesting play on a different environment because obviously Microsoft has some um, special interest in keeping DirectX alive over Vulkan, whereas Vulkan could be that new system, that ecosystem, as you said, that could bring uh, an entire different level of gaming into the Linux arena by default, you know, potentially. So I... As I understand it, yeah, I, I'm not your guy for this because I don't play graphically challenging games. <laughs> um, I be over there with Pong. <laughs> not, they're not. They're not that graphically unchallenging. <laughs> <laughs> Tetris. That, um, okay. <laughs> the, the things I play tend to be um, graphical adventures, things like that. Right. So, so you know, they're, they're all 3D and so on now, but. And, and smooth animation, but they're not, they're not graphically complicated. I've only got an Intel graphics card, for example, and I'm perfectly fine with that. Don't need anything about that. <laughs> um, so Vulcan will sort of affect me, but yes, to, to the extent that people start writing games which are targeted towards Vulcan, and therefore those games are easier to port to Linux. Yep. Um, that's probably good for me because it widens the sphere of games I'll be able to buy. And then maybe one day you'll get a real video card. <laughs> it's just yeah you're like if i could punch through this webcam <laughs> all right so like, I, re- I don't i really i think i need to run grim fandango man it's just not that <laughs> difficult <laughs> 
Um, have you, uh, you know, 1710 is here um, with the new Switch from Unity. Any thoughts on it? You tried it out? You like it? You don't like it? What? Um, I am, I'm an LTS user. So I will be upgrading my actual desktop um, in six months for 1804. Uh, I don't want the interim releases anymore. But um, first of all, given the fact that Unity is being dropped, this is the thing this needed to happen. Mm-hmm. The switch to Gnome Shell. I think that was the right thing to do. I also think providing the uh, the Ubuntu experience on top of Gnome Shell is the right thing to do. So having the launch down the side and so on and so forth, I think is the right thing to do. And I absolutely love the way they've done it. They didn't go, we're going to fork Gnome Shell and build our own thing. It was, we're going to provide a set of extensions, which you can turn off if you want to. Um, and they, and they, and they didn't build all new extensions. That dash to dock, for example, they worked with upstream and went to them and said, okay, well, we'd like to use this. They, they have technically forked dash, um, dash to dock, but not for, not for any, we want to take it in a different direction reason. It's just for some kind of get it in the archive thing. Um, but I'd, before the switch was announced, I'd already moved to Gnome Shell hmm. because. Unity was essentially in maintenance mode. Right. And on the one hand, um, my desktop ought to be stable. Its job is to launch applications. It's the applications where all the actual work happens, right? But equally, I like to see innovation and work going into that to some extent because it makes it easier for me to, to launch things. Right. <laughs> um, stupid things like, um, being, uh, Launching applications, as I said, I just tap super key, yep. Windows key, and then just type the name of the application. But I also use that to do things like typing calculations. Uh, you know, this times this times this, mathematical calculations. And um, I I wrote a little GNOME shell extension which does currency conversion. Nice. Because because I need that quite I you know, not for any big reason, but how much is how much is eight thousand dollars in real money? So, you know, tab thing. <laughs> money, money. <laughs> Bitcoin, right? <laughs> yeah, not Bitcoin. Okay. I, I think I, I think eight thousand dollars is like naught point naught 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 four bitcoins at the moment, isn't it? <laughs> Something ridiculous. Um, but yeah, so having that, and I like there to be a certain amount of innovation and forward progress going on on my desktop. So I'd already moved to GNOME Shell, and before Ubuntu made the announcement, I'd already discovered Dash to Dock and configured it. I wrote um. When when the thing was announced, uh, when, when they announced they were going to be dropping Unity and moving to GNOME Shell, I wrote a blog post saying, well, if you want to do that, um, if you're moving to GNOME Shell but you want the familiar Ubuntu experience, this is how I got it. I got GNOME Shell and I configured the following extensions. Dash and dock down the side so I get my launcher down the left-hand side of the screen. And um, uh, in the top right-hand corner... Uh, the top icons extension. So I got the, um, the status menus as I'd expect. And I turned off the following things in the configuration, basically to give me a thing which feels like my Ubuntu desktop. Mm. Yeah. Because I, I very much liked the layout and everything. I, I liked Unity. The, the only reason I stopped using it was because they stopped developing it, right? And it, and they'd essentially stopped developing it for quite a while before. Uh, the actual announcement was made. It was in maintenance mode. Anyway, there were things, there was work going on on it, but it was mostly bug fixing, not the huge forward progression of we're going to build a brilliant new environment like there was right. at the beginning. Yeah. <clears throat> so, so I wrote that at the time and 
that gratifyingly <laughs> is the it seems to be the same decision that the Ubuntu team made. Um that they that they value that the feel of the Ubuntu experience. And I didn't want that to go away either. I, I am quite conditioned to things like the buttons are on the left and I glance down the left hand side to see which applications are running and I can see dots next to the icons where I've got things running and I can see four dots next to Nautilus and three dots next to Chromium <laughs> for how many windows I've got open. And I look up in the top right hand corner for, um, for my status icons. To give you a stupid example, in GNOME Shell, the, the clock is in the middle of the screen and it took me, I am not kidding, a month to stop looking top right. <laughs> because that's where the clock was on the other hand um in my parents house uh if i'm in the dining room i still look up at the wall uh the, uh, the clock on the wall and that clock hasn't been there for two decades and i still look at it yeah. this the is habit. the power of conditioning yeah. well it's you funny know? you say that because in the last couple months now since using Unity, because I had never used Unity for a long-term basis. I had always made fun of it, like you had said. There there's a, there were people that hated on it. And I was one of those guys that just made fun of it because it was a cool thing to do. You know, never really <laughs> spent any time with it. Uh, but after using it, right before they killed it, um, I now, whatever desktop environment I go to, try to set it up the way Unity is. And that's See? my, <laughs> that sorry. Is so crazy. That's just like my, if I can't set it up the way Unity is, I kind of am disappointed in it. It's, yeah. it's sad. Yeah. My, um, my laptop is running Ubuntu Mate, uh, because it's a bit too old and rubbish to run. I, I don't use a laptop. I use a desktop machine. So my laptop gets dug out of my laptop bag if I have to go to a conference or spend the day away or whatever. And it's quite an old rubbish Dell laptop. So it's running Ubuntu Mate, but it's running Ubuntu Mate with the mutiny uh, layout, which basically makes it look and work like Ubuntu. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, that's the limit. And I've, test. And, I've yeah, <laughs> I, and I've I filed a couple of bugs with the um, I forget the name of the project now, but they've got a thing which puts the launcher down the side, and I filed a couple of bugs with those people to say, hey, wouldn't it be nice if this? Um, what happened was when you moused over it, um, you got a little pop up thing showing you the windows, but it was this ancient horrible X-forms looking unstyled window. And I said, wouldn't it be nice if this looked like, you know, looked pretty like the, like the Unity ones <laughs> yeah. did, where it had the sort of, you know, semi-transparent background and nice rounded corners and so on. And the chat went, yeah, okay, and then made that change. Nice. And some people are like, why are you wasting time doing that when you could be implementing new features? And I think, no, I want it to be pretty. I'm allowed. <laughs> that sounds like Rocco. He is uh, ridiculously into the styling of things. Yeah. To me, that's that's important. I want to feel. I, I mean, I spent eighteen hours a day looking at the flaming thing. I'd like to look pretty. <laughs> well, right? I like how you were honest about how many hours you spend looking at it. Too. <laughs> yeah, but I think that that says a lot, though. You want it to be stable, and it's the same way I am. I want it to be a stable desktop, but I also want it to be nice looking. Yeah, yeah. you know, I don't want to go back fifteen years to a, de a to a desktop that looks like it's from fifteen years ago just because it's stable. Right. So, Totally All right, agree. so one of our last questions, and we'll get into some other news and stuff here, is uh, Rocco was saying that in one of your last episodes, you had some predictions for 2017. <laughs> oh, yes. Those predictions did not go as planned. Is yeah, your, wow. your last episode that you recorded for 2017, you went over all of them. 
How'd we that go? The, we were the worst, honestly. <laughs> we I am. Um, every every year, um, this is on Bad Voltage. We do um, at the beginning of the year, we do a prediction show where mm. each of us will predict certain things we think will happen over the course of that year in the tech world, generally. Right. Um, but, but with a fairly widely drawn definition of what that means. Sure. And then at the end of the year, we review those predictions. Normally, what happens is John and I don't do very well, and Jeremy does quite well. Right. This year, we all got everything <laughs> wrong. Every one I've of them. rarely <laughs> seen a pathetic volcano <laughs> eruption of doom and misery <laughs> to, to, to exceed this. I, I genuinely couldn't believe it because I sat down and um, listened to the previous show and wrote down all the predictions and well, whether we got them all right. Uh-huh. And normally we'd argue about we got that one right or we didn't or whatever. This time everything's like, no, didn't get that right. No, we are close. rubbish. So, what are some of the funnier ones, Rocco, that uh, were missed? Well, wait. Now, you, you had to plan this episode out. So how's that? how does that feel as you're planning the episode out? Nope. 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 <laughs> <laughs> it, it's quite entertaining when I find that the other two um, got all theirs wrong. I thought, well, that's fabulous. Then no problem with that. Yeah, <laughs> so I could be okay. Then I listened. What What's really galling is that the previous year, uh, so the the 2016 predictions, um, we had a rule that we should go big or go home. So everyone did quite outlandish, not likely to happen, but I'll take a flyer at it. Right. Predictions. Right. And didn't do very well. So last year, 2017, I was really boring and conservative and picked things like Oracle will make acquisitions in the cloud and stuff. <laughs> right. Incredibly boring things. And I still got them all wrong. <laughs> well, one of you, I forget who it was, one of you uh, said either Canonical, Canonical will be sold or that was Jeremy. That was Jeremy. And you know what? At the be at the end of last year, I would have totally agreed with that. Yeah, I to be honest with you, that didn't go on my list just because it had been on my list the previous year. I got it wrong. Um, if but yeah, you keep so, predicting it one year, you're bound to be right. This, this is the yeah, stop stocks right twice a day kind of. Okay. Right? <laughs> yeah. This is exactly my plan. But yeah, so that is. Um, yeah, Jeremy predicted that. It didn't happen. I'd have sworn blind that one was going to happen and it didn't. Um, some, some of them were a bit more, a bit more of a reach than others. So, uh, Jono predicted that Facebook would build a complete Facebook VR thing where you could go and walk around it like second life. <laughs> did not happen. Did not. That didn't happen. <laughs> He did not, <laughs> because it's ridiculous. Yes, but he <laughs> was, like, begging for points there, like half points or third points or whatever. I know. <laughs> they, because they, what? Because Facebook uh, invested Well, in because the they're headset. working on it. They're, they're, yeah. They have, to my eternal annoyance, announced a thing called Facebook Spaces, and they are working on this thing. It will be – it is galactically stupid as a concept. Galactically <laughs> stupid? Well, he wanted a, a third of a point or a quarter of a point or something because they were actually yeah. working on it. He's fighting over a quarter of a point. Yeah. I love it. No. Massive <laughs> thumbs down on this whole plan. No points for you. <laughs> but, yeah, so didn't go that well, the predictions, if I'm honest. 
So I now can't decide when we do the 2018 predictions, which will be in the new year. Oh, I can't wait. Everybody needs to listen so that you can make sure to give them plenty of flack when they're all wrong. Oh, well, again. yeah, exactly. I, I can't decide whether to be even more boring or conservative or just go, well, the hell with it. I'm going to get no points anyway. You should go for it. Here we go. Just go. Bitcoin will hit a billion dollars. Just people go will, for it. Yeah. yeah. Now, people will discover ghosts on Mars. <laughs> Canonical will be the first trillion dollar company. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> They'll beat Apple to a trillion dollars. Go gargantuan or go home. That's kind of my plan. Uber will go bust, hopefully. Uber. That's all thing. Awesome. All right, so we have some other business to take care of, unfortunately. So unfortunately, you're going to stick around. You're, you're going to – well, yeah, because it's Ryan's picks for – I mean, this is, the, I mean, this is what the fans come for. Um, so you're going to stick around with us, aren't you, Stuart? Sure thing. All yeah. Right. All right. So last week we did, again, to recap, uh, Rob was here. Um, yeah. And he, we did an episode and we talked about our top picks for different things. And in, Ryan in decided to skip out for that episode. And I was stuck at an airport. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so get let, let's let's have it. What is your so personal? So we'll go through this real quick, so we won't bore people. Uh, for my top distros of 2017, MX is in one of my top distros. MX I Linux. thought MX MX is just absolutely Debian-based distro that does so many things right, and I've talked about this before. Uh, of all the things I love about MX, but when you talk about even the custom apps that they have for setting up your iPhone, et cetera, just everything is done brilliantly in MX. Absolutely love it. One of my favorite distros of 2017. Zubuntu, of course, because it's, you know, one of the distros that just blew there's, me away with the There's XMC. only one reason why I'm not running Zubuntu right now. Why is that? Dual monitors. It has issues yeah. with dual monitors. Other than that, it's, it's quite amazing. Awesome. It's pretty it? awesome. And XFC then, doesn't support dual monitors. It does support. It does, them. but not for Rocco. <laughs> it does. No, it works. Zubuntu works because I got pretty dual ones right here. Awesome. And I love. I can't say I love. I like the XFCE desktop. He loves XFCE. I don't like. I don't love it. I like. People. I like the XFCE desktop, but. It has issues when you open different programs on dual monitors. It'll always default for me to the wrong monitor, no matter what I did, you know, go into the X session, set the config, NVIDIA settings. Uh, every game that I played would automatically appear to the wrong monitor. I would make it in windowed mode and I'd move it over and then I'd go back to full screen and it would pop back over to the wrong monitor again. <laughs> so, like, the problem is, Stuart, Rocco uses the old CRT monitors. Wow, that's so, so fake news, dude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I have two monitors, including one that, uh, you know, is a specialized 3D 144 hertz monitor and uh, 60 hertz monitors and, and they all work in XFC, but Rocco claims they don't. So, there <laughs> okay. you go. Continue uh, personal, on. Personal pick for desktop environment. I know this is going to be shocking to all of you. XFCE, obviously. Surprise, the greatest surprise. desktop environment ever. And then this one, oh, I forgot one of the distros, which kind of links to this. Rocco, you actually gave me a great recommendation for once. Well, you had said, try, well, you had said that you wanted to try i3. And you were yes. experimenting with it. so I was playing with i3 and Zubuntu, actually, and you were like, hey, you know what you need to try out is Arch Merge. And so I went and downloaded Arch Merge, and I fell in love with it. First of all, 
it has a brilliant XFCE implementation. He does a lot of fantastic customization. In fact, he has a ton of videos out there that you can watch on how he does his customization. But including an i3, which is, you know, more of a, it was more of a fun thing. I'm not saying i3 is for everybody. In fact, I don't recommend it unless you want <laughs> to just play with something different. But once you get used <laughs> to i3, once you get used to i3, it is incredibly productive. And it really changes the way you view how powerful the keyboard can be and how quickly you can move windows around, how quickly you can uh, change settings via the keyboard and not having to move your mouse around and try to find things. But it takes time. You will be desperately annoyed for the first week of using it. With that said, Arch Merge has the best implementation of i3 because he uses all of his personal customizations. He's already done them for you. And then the default wallpaper has all of the the shortcut keys there for you so you don't have to remember, you know, oh, it's super key D to open the menu or whatever. Okay, so, so wait now. I3. Wait now. You like mm-hmm. i3. I love i3. Stuart, what do you say about i3? <laughs> um, you know, when you said um, the, you know, uh, w- w- once you finally, uh, once you break through and really get right. to grips with it, you like it. How many people normally get that far? <laughs> Probably not many. You have to be very patient. Um, um, I, I I went through a stage. Um, it was some years uh-huh. ago now of swapping between different um, uh, desktop environments. Uh, well, sorry, back then, uh, window managers right. and so on. And I went through a stage of being very, very minimalist. So there's hardly uh-huh. anything on the screen, and the window borders were just sort of one pixel with a really thin line for minimize and so on and so forth. They just don't uh-huh. screenshots on my website, whatever. Um, and and at the time I was thinking, yeah, oh, this is really cool. I can do this. And that that's the kind of time when I would have been using i3. Uh, I don't think i3 was out there, but it, rat poison, all that sort of thing. <laughs> and now I look back and think, you moron, why were you doing that? <laughs> for goodness sake, why? Would you, I mean. Some stuff. I mean, so you've got the the shortcut keys on on the wallpaper, mm-hmm. for example, which means I expect that your desktop doesn't look that pretty because it's got a bunch of shortcuts. <laughs> you are correct, I sir. Would, <laughs> I would disagree from the fact that it's got a nice little border around it and it's in gold. Actually, i three is very beautiful from the start, but that the shortcut. <laughs> That you don't, the shortcuts that are on the side, you don't need those past the first week. But it's a great thing when you're a new user to i3 because you constantly forget until you get used to it. But let me tell you why i3 is powerful. So one of the things Rocco was complaining about with XFCE, in fact, I've had the issue in other distributions and desktop environments as well, where you your applications launch on the wrong screen. You open a game and it doesn't go to my 144 hertz monitor where I want to play. Yep. It goes on this monitor. In i3, I literally click, you know, shift right arrow and or shift left arrow, and I can move that entire full screen game in a second anywhere I want it. Nothing else that I have to do. I don't have to go into settings. I don't have to do special launch options in Steam. I can instantly move it. It's little things like that that you start to realize the speed and the power of the tool. Now, is it for everybody? Not in the least bit. No. Do yeah. not go because of my recommendation. Play with i3 unless I don't think anybody's going because of your recommendation it. anyway. Rocker, you're so wrong. <laughs> you're so wrong here. All right. So what were what was? Give me a favorite moment of the show. I mean, obviously, one of the best moments on the show we've had. Rocco is sitting right behind you. 
And I noticed you put a little Santa hat on him. <laughs> Stuart, you, don't, you, you may not know this, but this is a gift that I gave to Rocco because unlike how he treats me, I am a wow. very, very kind individual. Ah. And I sent him an awesome Christmas gift because he's a GNOME user, GNOME GNOME user. Uh, we use GNOME and GNOME together so we don't piss it's off the yeah. party. <laughs> yeah. Same uh, as the rest of us. <laughs> but there's a little sign and it's hard to see. That that GNOME, what does it say, Rocco? That sign I can't read it. On it. I can't read it. <laughs> it says, I love XFC. Yeah, that's what it says. <laughs> <laughs> So that was one of my favorite moments is uh, gifting that to you there, Rocco. And definitely when Philip uh, from the Manjaro team told me to uh, RTFM. Yeah, that, like, is one of my favorite <laughs> moments of all time. <laughs> we ship always a new user guide based on the ISO we release, which has the standard, which will actually explain what is the non-free and the free one. So Ryan, simply <laughs> read the manual. <laughs> Just read the manual? How dare you? Yeah. But who, who, who this interview is over, Ryan. <laughs> That was awesome. <laughs> that was like perfect. But we had so many great guests on from yes. Station X to Eddie Vassallo uh, announcing the Spitfire. That was like like a premiere moment. And we're now uh, excited to announce, and actually we're going to use Destination Linux as our uh, as our springboard to announcing this, if that's all right with you guys. So coming in October, end of October, we're going to have the Manjaro edition of the Spitfire. And what's exciting about that, it's not just a preload. Um, We are working specifically with the Manjaro team to build something really special for the Spitfires. And you know what? I don't want to, I'm not going to slight anybody, so I won't mention any other names except for Ikey. We'll just leave it at that. Yeah. (laughs) He's like awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Very awesome. So, and then favorite software real quick at your vector. Gnome Twitch, Lutris, game management software, brackets for web design, Stacer, thanks to Michael. Uh, he recommended that awesome system profiler, Simple Note, and Pharonics Test Suite, which has been incredible, by the way. I've also, on top of all my other issues, have had system issues. Pharonics Test Suite, because of its, uh, you know, graphically intensive CPU tests and everything else that has allowed me to find out I had a hardware problem with my computer and was able to diagnose it using Phronix Test Suite, which is not its purpose, but something I used it for on top of the benchmarking uh, tools that it has. So those are some awesome software picks that I chose there. All right, uh, uh, Stuart. Be, uh, before you go on, uh-huh. what's Vector? I don't know about that one. Vector is an art program, uh, basically using vector shapes to create banners, simple graphics, little things okay, like I that. But it's just I, a really powerful, simple tool that you okay. can use for that. I use Inkscape for that, so um, yeah. but I'm always happy to see something else, so I'll have a look at that. V-E-C-T-R, yes? Yep, V-E-C-T-R, yep. All right, so are you ready for some quick-fire questions here, Stuart? Uh, yeah, yeah, fire it up. Okay, it. top distro of 2017. <laughs> Ubuntu. Top DE of 2017. Oh, um, the problem is it's going to be Gnome Shell, but this is the taller than Rocco's Gnome competition, but you can very short and still win. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, favorite software finds of 2017. 
uh, software I use every day, all the time, um, are Telegram, Sublime Text, uh, Terminator, Sublime. which I've switched to using as Terminator's my, amazing. As, so, my uh, as my terminal. So what do you yeah. like about Terminator that makes it better than? Uh, multiple panes, and that's literally the only thing. In every other respect, it is worse than GNOME Terminal, but I like the multiple panes. Nice. Yep. <laughs> grouping and ungrouping capabilities, too, of Terminator. It's amazing. Yeah. All right, so um, great Linux games of 2017. What do you think, Ryan? Rocket League, man, of course. <laughs> I mean, that's our game. Stuart, I know you only have an Intel graphics card, but one day when you become an adult and you set up <laughs> we invite you to play Rocket League with, with us. With, with okay, not-so-pro-ish Rocket League yeah. players, but... Well, you're starting to get good. I still suck, but yeah. Well, this uh, doesn't this have is... to be. This doesn't have to be games that came out in 2017. Just ones that you found you like in 2017. Right, and Rocket League had a massive autumn yeah. update and things like that. So I think it's still fair to throw it into 2017. Ballistic Overkill was a game I found in 2017 that I loved. I mean, it it just it's one of those games that just speak to you when you want mindless fun of running around and, and blowing up people and shooting them and, and hearing them cuss you out. It's just an amazingly fun game to go out there and play. And it's a very powerful graphic. Uh, you wouldn't know anything about this, Stuart. It's got a lot of graphics in it. <laughs> and uh, so it just is a very good demonstration of Linux's capability. And then Sundered is just an awesome platformer game out there to check out. Stuart, what have you uh, played any recent Pong. games? Recent? Oh, well, well, obviously, uh, yeah, you know, tic tac toe because that's all my <laughs> pathetic <laughs> graphics card can manage. Um, I can't actually play games. I just stand here and bang two rocks together. Like <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I'm just actually literally here sitting, looking at my Steam list. Yeah, what's in your that, Steam um, collection? Th- things that we've, things that we've played and enjoyed this year. Um, uh, so, Mark of the Ninja was is really nice. cool yeah. yeah played played lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of that um and a whole bunch of graphical adventures but a lot of those i've been playing with my daughter right so oh, she's nice. discover she's discovering things like monkey island for the first time oh yeah i i am now i i'm starting to be slightly resentful about that i think i've now bought monkey island like 12 times um, Papers, Please was really good as well. Yes, that was a fantastic that one, again, not, game. Not, yeah. not very graphically challenging. No, but great. Um, but we um, we played the remastered Day of the Tentacle as well, and that was really cool. And Another World came out, and so on and so forth. So that was all good. I, I must confess, actually, one graphics card thing that I would like to play and can't, and it almost made me go out and buy, you know, a better graphics card, uh-huh. is, Hit, is Hitman. Oh yeah, the Hitman series is great. Because I, I really like the game. I've got a PlayStation 3, which I have no intention of upgrading to a 4. Um, but then Hitman came out on, on, on Linux. And I thought, great, I'll give that a try. And it just flat doesn't work with the graphics. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that is so, that is so frustrating when that happens. Draws weird black triangles all over everything. So, so yes. I remember playing Metal, Metal of Honor Airborne. Or, or trying to play it when it first came out, my graphics card wouldn't support it. So every time I started up, I'd get a black screen. I'm like, oh man, it was like killing me until I got a new <laughs> graphics card to play it. But so, what were your choices, Rocco? Uh, well, Rocket League has to be in there, obviously. Oh, of course, man. Uh, it helps to play with uh, friends. 
Are we friends, Rocco? We are. Um, Shadow of Mordor, uh, it came out uh, way before 2017, but it's right. still, before Shadow of War, was one of my favorite games to play. So that has to awesome be on my pick. top list. And gaming on Linux top pick game pick was F1 2017. Oh, I got to play it. I got to get a steering wheel first. Well, it's pretty awesome, I got to say. Do you have it? <laughs> What? It's pretty awesome, this dude. Breaking news here. Are you kidding me? Did you try it with the? Of course, of course you got it. I did. You took both sitting there in Vicaro seats. How did you not pay your <laughs> Wait, now I did not try it with the steering wheel yet, but okay. I did try it, and it's it's awesome. I can't believe you kept this from me. I did. I, I kept not. it from you. <laughs> yeah. He's like, he doesn't want to, he wants to get better at me before I get it and then tell me he has it. See? Nah, come on. Would I do that to you? <laughs> of course you would. Of course. <laughs> All right. Let's get into the news. Now, this first news item, we kind of went back and forth on covering because obviously it's everywhere in the news, but we had a little discussion with Stuart and frankly, his opinions on it were too funny for us not to cover it. So let's talk about net neutrality here for a second. Uh, obviously, this impacts the states more than anywhere else. And one of my questions to you, Stuart, was, uh, does this have any impact to you at all? And your response? Was no, because the EU already has net neutrality laws, right? <laughs> the, the stuff you've just repealed, we've already got. I mean, now, don't get me wrong, we we are um, over my express objections attempting to leave the EU, but nonetheless, this is largely, as far as I can tell, a problem for Americans only. The, the, the extent to which it um, affects other countries is because we're all using American services. Mm-hmm even though we're not actually in America. But it's not a problem here because, first of all, we've got laws against it. And secondly, because if my ISP decides that they're going to slow down Netflix because it competes with their video service, I'll just go and use another ISP, which you lot can't do. Because as far as I can tell, you you get your one choice of ISP and that's all you can do, which sucks. Well, that has been the, the counter argument I've heard for people who, in, including the whatever his name is, Ajiat or whatever, who's uh, Ajit, head of Ajit this. Paul. Yeah, yeah. I don't even <laughs> want to learn his name. I don't even want to see his face, frankly. Uh, but this individual, his argument is, well, you know, a free market and open it up and all this. So I went and done, did some research because there are some other popular Linux folks who've gone out and made that same claim that it is not such a big deal because – you know, free market and you could choose. But for instance, in my case, you know, I live in a rural area up in the mountains. We have one ISP here, period. There are no choices. You use them or you don't have internet. There's no cell phone signal, by the way. You can have a booster so you can run your cell phone signal through Wi-Fi because there's not enough towers. Now, you may say, well, you chose to live out there, and that's a remote area. But the fact is, doing some research, and somewhere in between 35 and 40% or more of Americans only have one service provider as their choice. So because of that, you could say, well, if Comcast goes and does X, then just leave them, except you can't because there's no other option out there in the market. Now, your hope would be to say, well, then another telecom provider may come in there and, you know, supersede them and take it away. But what happens in between? And frankly, that hasn't happened either before the law was passed or after. 
The other argument that I heard was, well, it wasn't so bad before, except there were examples of companies that were trying to abuse it that actually yeah. did occur. So saying it wasn't so bad before, well, they just got started. Believe me. So, well, I wonder, think, I wonder it's, what the percentage of that you said it's 40% that only have one ISP. I wonder what the percentage of people that maybe have a choice of ISP, but maybe only one broadband. Like, yeah. like I have a local DSL company who you might get, you know, minor speed out of. So it's really not a choice. Like, yeah, I'm, I have two choices right now. But the choice is right. there is only one choice. I mean, if you want a and decent internet exactly connection. exactly the thing. I mean, I'm, uh, you can come at it from one of two ways. You can either be a kind of big state lefty socialist end, which is tends to be the side I live on, or you can come at it from the, from the right wing, um, free market side. So either you think it's the government's job to make sure that everyone gets equal access to the internet, which means you need net neutrality laws. Or I'm okay with the argument that the free market will sort this out. But in order to, you have to have a free, a free market. market. You have to have, <laughs> there has to be a choice. The whole point of markets is that everyone competes against one another. You don't have a market. You've got a system of local monopolies. And so what, so what you've done is you've gone, okay, let's build, let's, let's grant people monopolies and then maybe come up with a law to stop them abusing the monopoly. But you just don't give them a monopoly in the first place. Right. It's, well, I fall on the side of I fall on the side of smaller government would rather have the government out of you know making specific laws for companies like this. But I don't see a better situation right now. Exactly. I, I, I'm told, and we talked about this on the last Bad Voltage show. Jeremy, who works in who has worked in telecoms um, at various points over his life, he says there are points at which various different municipalities wanted to set up broadband in their city because there wasn't a broadband provider. And they weren't particularly doing it to make money. They were doing it to convince people to move to the city, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, someone's saying, well, I can't really move to that place because there's no decent internet. And they say, well, we'll just provide it essentially at cost. And there are places in which the municipality is banned from providing broadband in their municipality because it will compete with the one big player. That's mm -hmm. literally the opposite of a free market. Right? <laughs> I don't yeah, think you, there's any good solution out there on the table as of yet that I've seen. Maybe there is. I just haven't, and haven't seen well, it. Well, the law that was but, there was working. So yeah. in, in the argument that, you know, uh, the innovation has dropped, every statistic out there shows the complete opposite, that everybody has invested. I've been in telecom for 18 years. We've never invested more money than we have in the last past five years than we do now. It's just, yeah. it's extraordinary the amount of money that we're, everybody is throwing into their networks and infrastructure and build outs and everything else. The only slowdown is waiting for stockholders to give us more money so we could spend more of it on the network. So it's, it has nothing to do with, uh, now all of a sudden we're going to have major networks built out in all the rural areas because this law is gone. It, it just has more to do with the fact that I don't think in the first year you're going to see an impact from this. Maybe not even in the first year and a half, but I think eventually you're going to start seeing things like, Hey, you want YouTube to be faster? Give us another $5. Or you're going to have a la carte packages where entertainment packages where you want YouTube, Google, and this, you know, give us an extra yeah. $10 and it'll be super highway. Well, I do think those things are going to happen uh, in order to make money on it because you got to remember the companies who are your major telecom companies? What have they bought? 
They've bought the media companies that provide cable television, right? They've bought Dish yeah. Network. They've bought the local television companies, all this. So now they have television. But what are people doing? They're cord cutting. So they're yeah. moving away from television. They're using Internet, and they're using Internet to watch their TV now. So they've made this big investment in these companies. Don't you think they're going to want you to start paying for some of that uh, that they've been giving out there? So, I mean, they're going to they're going to create packages. Well, in a perfect a world, in a perfect world, you creating a package is not a big deal. If you have the, the free market and if you have the other players involved that can right. that could compete with them. True. Right now, it, it doesn't have that. They that create the package right now. now so. You have no choice. Or you have to have TV yeah. if you want the super fast everything online uh, package. So you want television? Great. Well, you're going to have – or if you want your fast internet, then you have to buy a premium television package too. Exactly. <laughs> now, I don't want 312 sports channels. I just want fast internet and shut up. That's it. How much do I have yeah. to pay you to shut up about everything else? You don't know right. how many times Comcast has told us that we could get a cheaper price if we – Bought, just bundled. Bundled, if we bundled everything together, then what we're actually paying for just internet right now. And I don't want phone yeah. and TV with it. All I want is the internet. But I'm, you know, we're being told, hey, you know, this is a cheaper bundle. If you could get cheaper price, I'm like, Ugh. I know. I had exactly the same thing. I mean, this is here, right, with British Telecom, I, and that's who I my ISP used to be. And they and they would ring up and say, okay, so you're paying this much um, per month for the internet. But you can have the internet and TV bundle for a pound less. And I said, I'm not interested. And she's like, I, I think you must have misheard me. It's less money <laughs> for more stuff. <laughs> and they would not understand that. I'm like, I don't care. I'd rather pay the extra money to not have you hassle me about the television. Just right. leave me alone. I want the internet and nothing else. Right. Right. Yeah. They just, it's like, does not compute. You can see this. Poor woman who's there, obviously wound me up for the third time in a week, just got tilt written across her eyes while she's going, nobody's <laughs> le it's less money for more things. I think at the end of the day, the point here is <clears throat> got to have the proper amount of competition in the markets to allow for this yeah. free market idea to really work. And in our current state, the statistics just don't show that that competition is in place. And therefore, the repeal of this law, in my opinion, was a terrible idea. That's my, my feeling about it is precisely that. The ideally, I mean, you're fine. You covered it from um, a small government. So then ideally, the free market will step in and will um, level all these things out. In situations where there isn't that market for some reason, it is, in my opinion, the state's job to step in and right that wrong. Maybe you give the free market a go at it first, but we have given it a go at it first, and it has been a spectacular failure. <laughs> so. Well, I'm not in the favor of any uh, government. I don't think government is there to right wrongs. That's just my opinion. I, I, I'm in favor of small Ooh. government. So I, I don't think it's the government's job to right any wrongs. It's their job to get out of our way, basically, and wow. let the free market run. But we're, I do agree – we're way opposite. I, I think that's almost all government's job. <laughs> I do concede that the, the market is not there to make it work. So hopefully they will do something. Yeah. Will... I, I, well, I, I they think... did do something. They allowed AT&T to grow bigger than when they broke it up in the 80s as a monopoly. It now bought up all the companies that 
made a monopoly in the 80s and then about 10 more. So now that's what they did. They allowed monopolies to exist, which, by the way, is the sheer enemy of a free market is allowing monopolies to exist. So you can't you can't have both ways. You can't allow monopolies to exist and then go, well, we don't want the government to step in with anything uh, to to control this because it it just creates a massive disaster. So but we're not going to fix it. Nobody's going to care what we say, but that's just our opinion on it. Right. Well, right. um, as as I understand it, and this is not my field, but as I understand it, um, this it, this doesn't mean it's gone forever. It just means that you know, if you want it fixed, you now talk to Congress rather right. than the FCC, um, right. and hopefully you'll talk to Congress, and two million fake bots won't. <laughs> <laughs> well, the EFS, who does a lot of fighting for this type of thing, has said that the fight's not over and. They're continuing to pursue legal means and things to try to fight this. So I guess in a way you're right. The fight isn't over yet. There's still work to be done for people who are uh, into it uh, and feel passionately about there to try to get it changed. And like I said, I doubt anybody's going to be brave enough to change everything tomorrow because the law was rewritten. It's going to be a slow cooking of the American public that will happen probably in the next year from it. Yeah, you are the frogs that are being boiled. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Rocco, let's go into some other news. All right, so we have Peppermint 8 Respin, and I'm not exactly sure why it's called a Respin, because usually Respins are – we had a conversation in the Big Daddy Linux Live about if it should be called a Respin or not. And Okay, sorry, cut. Cut director's prerogatives. What? You're going to talk about. (laughs) You're going to talk about peppermint and leave me in the background. Seriously, that is absolute. That was not going to happen, Zeb. We were totally going to bring you in. Peppermint. I told (laughs) you. I told Rocco. I said you better not leave Zeb out of this, right, Rocco? All right, Zeb. What's what's new with peppermint, and why is it called respin anyway? Well, this is just going to be a disagreement between the Linux term and the correct British term. <laughs> um, if you create a respin, you're just renewing the original. Okay. You are re-spinning it. So we have always called the minor changes we've made to a distri- you know a distro release peppermint respin. So it might not be what the Linux community know it as, but it's what Peppermint community knows it as. So that's why it's called a respin. So it's just Peppermint 8 with some enhancements that we felt needed to come out before Peppermint 9 does. Yeah. And I can and I can quickly run through those for you if you want. Go right ahead. Now you're saying just before we start that the Peppermint's version of respin, which is the British version of respin, is the correct version. The use of the term. Again, it's it's all semantics, isn't it? I mean, is it is it mate or is it martyr? Is it, it no? Depends on who you talk to. It's gnome so, so. It's gnome yes, exactly. So we'll we'll give that one to Michael, but he's not having respin. Sorry. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> what what's new in okay. Peppermint 8? Well, there's there's a number of cosmetic changes that if you just gloss over them, don't seem to amount to much, but they actually do put an awful lot into the Peppermint 8 respin. Now, 
Some of those changes um, are to do with our new icon themes, um, our GTK theme, and our XWM4 theme. And what we wanted to do was to go back to that look and feel that everybody enjoyed in Peppermint 7. Another change we made was we got rid of the what we classed was an old and outdated login manager in the LightDM GTK greeter. And we're now using um, the Slick greeter, which for us is a much nicer, cleaner, crisper um, entry into the into the OS. So what you're saying yeah. is it's pretty slick. <laughs> nice, yeah. Rocco. We didn't make the name; it was just what it was. What it was called. We just found it the best one to, to use. Um, and it also has a very nice utility once you get into the software of called Logon Window that enables um, login screen settings, including the ability to add, change, or remove the auto login user. And that's now done from a G, GUI rather than going in to try and change a config file. So for that, that was that was a, that was a nice effect. So we've also included three more new wallpapers from the brilliant Ray Billcliffe. If you've never seen this guy's work, you need to go and have a look at his Google Plus site. He does some fantastic photos. So we've added three more of his to our to our collection. So those little tweaks. And one other that I've nearly forgotten about was Mark Greaves, who's our lead developer, has also made a new version of ScreenFetch and NeoFetch, hmm. where he's made the logo that appears resemble our current logo that much better. Because you go into there and some distros' pictures of themselves or their icons are really, really bad. Right. And that was one of the things wrong with Peppermint. It was just this squished thing with sort of our lines on it and it didn't look right so he's actually made one now and what a lot of people won't notice until you really look at it is it's made out of p and m's for peppermint hmm. so nice. yeah little touches but all of those little touches have made the distribution look that much better so that's the aesthetic side of it. If we now go on to the technical side of it, um, one of the big changes that we brought in was a new Nemo file manager. Hmm. We used to run with the old 2.87, um, but that had problems with large file transfers, and it would freeze or just drop off the transfer, and you never knew where it had got where it had got to. So we were happy when Nemo announced a new version in the 3 Series. So we've gone with 3.4.7. Nice. And that also takes away a lot of the old um, Cinnamon, you know, back-end. If you wanted to use Nemo, you had to pull a lot of Cinnamon back in, in, in the back-end of it. Right. So mm-hmm. we, we've, 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 we've brought that new, new Nemo file manager in. Um, and it also... The desktop side of it, it now works with dual monitors. You'll be happy to know, Rocco, because there was a... There you go, Rocco. See? There was a situation before when if you displayed a wallpaper on one monitor, it wouldn't come out on the on the next monitor if you had an HDMI cable. Hmm. DP cable, it was fine. <laughs> so all these little things were, are the reasons why we've now changed over to Nemo 3.4.7. So that was, that was a change. Um... Although we're based upon an LTS distribution, and we always will be, we've decided to go with the HWE kernel. So 
people who've got newer machines haven't got to wait two years to then end up on a kernel that's still two years out of date. So if you go with the HWE kernel, that will very soon be rolling over to 4.13. As against the 4.10 that it is now, or if you was on the long-term support, I think it's 4.9. So it's, it's, it's a better fit for the newer machines, but it still doesn't stop you from using the older kernels if you want to, because if you really need to, you can still back, you know, back yourself back to 4.4, which is a long-term support and will be there for, for a while yet. So, so Zeb, this ask, all of these, this information is fantastic, but it begs the question, what's your favorite distro for 2017? <laughs> <laughs> it's a very close tie, funnily uh-huh. enough. Okay. Between Peppermint, which wins. Which, of course. Of course. And then MX-17. Oh, nice. MX-17, nice. huh? Yeah. A, a very, very good distro. Which yep. is still in uh, release Canada, right? It's no, it released today. It released today. And I it missed it. It released today, yeah. So MX-17 is now out to be put onto your desktop. Guess what you'll be doing, Guess Rocco, what I'll be weekend. trying later. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, I don't know if it's fair to mention something. So, because it was mentioned, I think, on the last, uh, I might have mentioned it on the last Big Daddy stream. The only thing I don't like about it is the ability to right-click any file in the file manager and take ownership as root hmm. without the root password. That could be problematic. That's a yeah. little bit scary. But if you take that, and to be honest with you, until somebody pointed it out to me, I'd never even seen it in the right click. So I didn't even know it was there. So I couldn't do any damage. But now I know it's there. It irks me. Yeah. But, but take that away. And it is an awesome distribution. I'll have to look into that. Maybe ask uh, Dolphin Oracle about that. Maybe there's something we, we don't know, or maybe they're, they know. The answer it. to my concern on the forum was they've never had anybody do it in the four years it's been there. Hmm. Wow. Okay. It's interesting. So with the peppermint release, it's not a, it's not a, it's a respin, but it's got all these little features that make it better. Yes. It, it, it adds up to a quite, normally our respins are just little tweaks, make it prettier, add one or two features. But with the new Nemo file manager changing to the HWE kernel, you know, introducing new screen fetch and Neo fetch, the new XW4 themes, um, and, and not forgetting as well, we, we, a lot of what we've put into here has been based upon problems we've seen in our forums. Nice. Um, a very good example of that was why we changed to the new OpenVPN 2.4.4 client. People were having problems with their VPN provider messing around with IPV, IPv4 and IPv6, which meant they couldn't connect properly. English Bob took about 45 minutes to show us how to change it so it worked. Surge came along and in two minutes showed us a one-line change. But even that one-line change was a bit too difficult for, for, for the average user. So Mark Greaves, again, our lead um, test analyst, went out and found OpenVPN 2.4.4, which makes that whole experience that much better. Awesome. And one last thing. We talk about customizing desktops, and we know that we're a hybrid between LXDE and XFCE um, for the panel. 
Mm-hmm. One of the biggest things that people can do is mess up the panel. And they can go, oops, yeah. I deleted the panel. And now I have no way of getting it back. And they've got no way of getting it back. Right. So we introduced a very nice panel tweak, which open up Peppermint Settings panel, click on Tools, click on Reset Panel. Great, it works. <laughs> a so simple solution. Got main that, right. panel back. However, as somebody rightly pointed out, if I haven't got a start menu, how can I get to the open peppermint settings panel? <laughs> so we've now created a right-clicked context menu to launch the peppermint settings panel. Brilliant. So you now can get to our tool. Awesome. And these are all the little tweaks that came from our user form. We listen very much to our forum, the problems that they have, and we try to, to give them solutions to those. Well, listen, Zeb, there, there is no way we could talk about peppermint without bringing you on. I mean, you well, are the king. So they, <laughs> you were going to. <laughs> Rocco was going to try. I, I couldn't believe it, Rocco. Shame on you. It's all my fault. Which is why I so rudely interrupted. <laughs> well, Zeb, yeah. our producer, thank you for going over the changes to peppermint, and we appreciate that very much. Lots of awesome things. If you're a peppermint fan or haven't checked it out, go check it out. Zeb, thank you, sir. Thank you for Thanks interrupting, so Rocco. Cheers. All right. So let's get into some other news items that we have in the desktop environment here. Gecko Linux, Rocco. Yes. OpenSUSE Spin. Mm-hmm. So have you ever used OpenSUSE? Long... Open... I know I'm going to get emailed Stuart. about this. Is it OpenSUSE, OpenSUSE, <laughs> OpenSUSE? What, what is this one? I've always called it's... it OpenSUSE. Yeah, no, it's OpenSUSE. That's what it is. Is it SUSE? You, you, should, you, you should definitely go to people and say, I use OpenSUSE. <laughs> it's not that. Come on. <laughs> OpenSUSE. <laughs> I'm going to start a trend. Now everybody's going to be like, no. Okay, so I call it OpenSUSE. So it very stable operating system, but... I haven't run it in a while. A few months ago, I tried it. Not a few months ago. A few weeks ago, I tried it. And I just could not get the networking working. I just could yeah. not. You mean from a Wi-Fi perspective? From right? any network at all. It wouldn't even recognize oh, my even like wired connection. Nothing. Wow. Okay. So I gave up. That's odd. I mean, I'm sure there's a solution out there. I'm sure I'll get emails to say this is the solution for that. But I couldn't right. get it at the time. And what I guess this Gecko Linux does is add things to it to make it easier? Yeah, well, it offers static and rolling releases version of it, and of course you get a bunch of desktop environments, Cinnamon, XFCE, Gnome, Plasma, Mate, Budgie, LXQT, and Barebones, uh, but they have lots of pre-configured software and a Pac-Man, P-A-C-K-M-A-N, repo uh, that's available for their software. They also have uh, they, I guess they do not force the installation of additional packages after the initial installation, whereas OpenSUSE pre-install patterns that automatically install those packages apparently, again, based on some of the recommended dependencies. I don't know how all that works because I don't use it enough, but apparently it offers some uh, differences there. Stuart, you ever run OpenSUSE? Uh, last time I ran OpenSUSE was... Um... It was part of a, a bad voltage challenge. Really? Um, we, 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 we were challenged to run, um, OpenSUSE for a week. And I had to run it with Enlightenment 19 as the window manager. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I had to get Enlightenment That went well, in, huh? And well, um, no, no, it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, 
the way the way Susan people think is not the way I think. Uh, to, to, uh, as an example, you look at something like Yast, right? Where um, there may be things you want to tweak, and you may want to tweak every single little detail about every single little thing. So we're going to take all of those switches and put them all in one application and call it Yast. Um, some people think that's brilliant. They really, really like that approach to things. And they really, really like Yast as being the core thing used with Susie. Me, I'd rather be eaten by crocodiles than use it again. <laughs> but it's just not the way I think so. No, I, I don't like it. And this is an open source spin, right? Yeah. But as far as I can tell, a bunch of the stuff that it fixes are things where shouldn't you just fix them? <laughs> Instead of building a new operating system, why not just get them fixed in SUSE? And I'm worried that the answer is getting things fixed in SUSE involves dealing with the community and it's difficult. You have to have a conversation and justify it. Whereas right. if you want to make a whole new operating system, you can just sit down one weekend and do it and not have to justify your choices to anybody. Yeah. That's what we were talking about earlier. About <laughs> the community. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, you know, not wishing to urinate from a great height on the Gecko Linux people who I've never heard of. Um, but, um, and I'm sure they might be that. They're the um, nicest, kindest people in the world that you're yeah, I'm sure that absolutely. they are. Yeah. It's, um, I am, I am unlikely to use your thing, but you know, if you feel you need to, carry on. It is, <laughs> it is an interesting point though, that that collaboration and all that type of stuff. Is it so bad to work with some of these groups that you have to go off and create your own distro to get stuff fixed or like Gecko Linux has done here, or is it a situation where they just decide one weekend to go create their own? I don't know. I've not used it. Gecko Linux may be amazing. I haven't played with it yet. It'll be something eventually I'll get around to as much as I distro hop. But it would be nice to see some of those fixes just go into the core system itself. I, right? I have an actual question about mm-hmm. that. Do you have you got some kind of home directory on another drive or something? <laughs> so, so when you install a new operating system, you don't uh-huh. lose anything. Yeah, I use uh, Synology NAS, which is basically a network solution yeah. that sits yeah, off the yeah, side. Yeah, I know what Synology is. And basically, yeah. as soon as I go to another distro, I just move the home folder over and all my config files and boom, done. It does cause some issues for distro hopping. I'm just saying. Yeah. I have, well, a, I have it backed me, up it's on. It's not perfect, <laughs> yeah, but it's easier than the way I was doing it before, for sure. Right. All right, so we have to, Ryan, we have to uh, skip down here because uh, we've taken All up right. a lot of Where, Stuart's what time. What are we skipping to here? Well, I would like to cover Kubuntu. Their daily ISO for 18.04 is out, and mm-hmm. they have an experimental switch. They are switching at the suggestion of Michael Tunnell, Tux Digital, to oh. switch to the Breeze Dark Plasma theme by default, and they would like everybody's feedback about this. So whether you like it, whether you hate it, um, are you guys, Stuart, are you a dark theme or a light theme guy? I'm a dark theme guy. Yes. So you I'm, would like I'm, this. I'm using, I'm using a dark theme at the moment. Yeah. Ryan? And I'm sort of vaguely interested in the idea of looking at, uh, KDE. So maybe I'll turn that theme on. There I was go. born into the dark theme. You guys merely adopted it. Oh my God. <laughs> well, what, what <laughs> Stuart, do you believe that? Do you hear what I got to put up with every week? <laughs> <laughs> Far be it from me to comment. <laughs> I know what you got to put up with every week. <laughs> um, well, I like dark themes, but uh, 
a lot of times you have issues with like certain programs like Firefox, Ryan, yeah. uh, with dark themes. But anyway, whether you like a dark theme or a light theme, please go give them your feedback because this is a great point for when people say, I don't like this about Linux. They're trying to get to do make a change that's for the better and they want your feedback. So I think yeah. it's a great thing. So please yeah, go yeah. let them know. All right, Rocco, let's get into the final segment here. Let's go and talk about what changes we'd like to see, because I would love to do this with Stuart as our exit of the show. What changes we want to see happen in Linux for 2018? And I'm going to tell you my changes, and then you guys can add your yours on here. I really want to see NVIDIA's proprietary drivers work with Wayland integration. So NVIDIA and Wayland work together. Now, I know on one side, everybody's saying this is NVIDIA's fault. And on the other side, some people are saying it's Wayland's fault, but I don't care. I just want to be able to use <laughs> my NVIDIA card along with by, you know, by more than over 50%. Some, some claim 50, some say over 65%. I would say it's probably more 65% of the market have an NVIDIA GPU. Ryan. If they have an extra GPU. Ryan. I, I want it to play ball. Stuart doesn't have this problem. No, he's, he's, never <laughs> he's like, I don't care what they do. And importantly, when Wayland comes along and I start using it, I'll get, you know, the, the device like drop shadow around my window. Works fine on an Intel card. I don't need some <laughs> stupid NVIDIA card with nine fans on it. Who cares? God. What, there's only five? Come on. <laughs> Listen, uh, you're over there playing Pong. You're not going to be a part of this battle. <laughs> I, I agree with you entirely. It's not going to affect me that much with this thing. But yeah, I, I, I don't know whose fault it is. And, um, I, I take a prone position on this in that when someone tries to explain to me whose fault it is, I lie down until they go away. But <laughs> it's, yeah, it seems like the sort of thing that ought to be fixed. It's, it's really sake. bad, for my opinion, in an adoption standpoint, because you have a lot of people, you were talking earlier, you know, gaming on Linux has improved tremendously. A lot of people on my channel, they're, they're new Linux users along with me, and they talk about, I would switch to Linux if the gaming got better. A lot of people are switching because the gaming's getting better. But now if you go and take 65% of your gaming GPU market and you say, well, we're implementing Wayland everywhere and, you know, Good luck to you and all the stuff that they're – all these distros now. Of course, Ubuntu did it great because it automatically switches back uh, from Wayland to X and things. But eventually, I'd imagine that's going to go away. And I just don't want Linux to get stuck in this thing where people are like, well, you got to have AMD or Intel to use Linux. you got NVIDIA. Oh, well, it's got to get figured out. Somebody's got to sit down and, and figure this out because I think everybody's trying to go Wayland. But if you don't have NVIDIA playing ball – Good luck, because you're going to have a lot of deserters at that point, I think. All right, Stuart, yeah. give us one thing that you want to see in 2018 in Linux. Um, I I would very much like a, I don't know what you'd call it, a standard document interface, something where all applications save things the same way, to do some kind of operating system service. Because what I want to happen is... um. I want to be able to, at the operating system level, go, I know what we're going to do. We're going to version all your documents so we keep old versions of them. And you can just implement that once at uh, system level, and then every application picks it up automatically. Stuff like that. I want to see applications collaborate on things like that. Interesting. Question is, how do we get there? We go back um, to setting the standards like we talked about. Yeah. This this is the same thing as the, the font thing I talked about earlier, you know. Um 
you can't you can't get people to collaborate. This is you said what would I like to see happen, right? And I'd <laughs> like that to happen because it implies a whole bunch of collaboration right. between desktop environments, between distributions, between application manufacturers, between vendors, everything. Yeah. I'd I'd like to be in a position where we can innovate at at desktop level, and everyone gets the advantage of it, rather than saying, okay, let's build something like Time Machine. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, the, 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 the Mac thing. If you did that, most applications we wouldn't, they wouldn't work with. Right. So you can't build stuff like that. It's really annoying. So that's the sort of thing I'd like to see happen, but that's, that's a very, 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 very big topic. I'd like to see some indication people are prepared to consider it in 2018 <laughs> rather than going, Oh no, absolutely not. We're quite happy for other people to renounce their heathen beliefs and come and join us. <laughs> their heathen beliefs. <laughs> Which is not the same thing as collaboration. Uh, right. Every, every, everyone else stops what they're doing and does what we're doing is not right. collaborating, especially right. when everyone thinks it. <laughs> well, well, that was one of the items I had on here was more cross collaboration across distros. I think. In in my view of the world, the news, Ike has been one of those who is really taking yeah. the charge in this area by sharing his work, uh, specifically, you know, more, most recently with the Steam integration and the Snap Package work that he's done. Everybody yeah. gets to benefit from it. Um, I love that he's kind of leading that in a way or one of the people who are leading that. And I hope more people come out and do what, continue to do what Ike's doing and and basically create that cross collaboration instead of well i developed this for my distro you can't have it type of thing or, or more or more accurately um yeah but i think a lot of it's i developed this for my distro so i'm not using your thing you developed for your distro i'm using mine and we're not changing yeah. so you don't get clever. i mean ike has done a brilliant job there i'm um, adopting snap packages and linux theme integration as you said and i think some of that is because there's no ego involved when he's working he likes to look for the best things and then make them happen right rather than saying it's more important that i win than that my users do yep yeah he well, puts well the said. users above himself and his ego i think it's awesome yeah and fair play to him yep the appalling taste in music but smart guy <laughs> The last one I had on here was improved software stores. I think the current state of the various software stores leaves a tremendous amount to be desired. Broken packages, terrible search indexing, no reliable user rating system, clunky interfaces, and that's irregardless if you're talking about Arch or you're talking about any other just GNOME software store. They all, in my opinion, have a lot of work that needs to be done to really get them into any shape that would resemble a real software store that's what you want yep i would agree with that what do you think rocco you know what i want i want a desktop i want want a desktop that doesn't crash that's what i want just a desktop i want a linux environment desktop that does not crash (laughs) wow that is a bold (laughs) statement man how often does your desktop crash um well, I I recently switched to the LTS, and right before the show, uh, the desktop crashed, and OBS crashed twice, and I was afraid that we weren't even going to be able to record the episode because of OBS crashing so much, but... Hey, Aaron, you're running an Ubuntu LTS. 1604 LTS, yes. Stock Ubuntu. Stock Not Ubuntu. Not Zubuntu or nope. something. And it crashes? Yep. 
I haven't had the desktop. Literally, I haven't had the desktop crash for years. I was surprised because that's exactly why I went to this. I that's exactly why I went to the LTS. Yeah. I don't think it's the desktop. I think it's the software that's being used on top of the desktop. OBS by, specifically. By, those type by of definition, nothing that software running in the desktop should can do should be able to kill the desktop. Yeah. If any piece of software can do anything at all which kills the desktop that's running it, that is by definition a bug in the desktop. Interesting. Wow. Uh, I just want so, a desktop that doesn't crash. Maybe it's my hardware. I don't know. But, <laughs> I mean, it I, could be. I, Possibly I could be hardware. We, I appreciate we said this earlier, and I wouldn't say it to uh, most people, but have you filed a bug? <laughs> <laughs> that's as good as read the manual. Then. <laughs> but... For for stuff like this, the the desktop team would say we'd like to fix this problem for you, but we can't fix it if we never hear about it. Right? Yeah. True. True. Okay. So it's worthwhile talking to some people on the desktop team and telling them, "Look, I'm having this problem." If you're at a point where your desktop's crashing the whole time, they'll be like, "Oh my god, that's terrible. We must fix this." <laughs> but they can't fix it because they don't know about it right. until they see who sent the bug report and they're like, wow. "Oh, that's just Rocco." Yeah. Now, on a whole, it's been a good experience. There's just certain times, certain issues, and I don't, I have no idea what's going on with it, but there's just certain times and certain issues with it that they're enough to drive me insane. That's all I'm saying. Well, those uh, are fair asks. Do you have any other asks for 2018, Rocco? No. All right. We have taken well, up way too much of Stuart's but Stuart, time. You've been amazing. You've been a trooper. I sure hope we didn't kill any expect or uh, hope that you'll come back to our show in the future <laughs> because we've strung this out. But you're so much fun to talk to. We talked before the show and uh, we've, we've obviously had a great time talking to you now. We hope you'll come back. Your podcast is incredibly fun to listen to and you guys are doing an amazing job over there. So we hope you'll come back and tell us some of the new stuff you're working on here in the near future. I'm I'd I'd be happy to. Thank well, you now very that you much. said Thank you very that, much for having committed. me. On. Maybe <laughs> sometime, maybe we could do like a joint podcast. That would be awesome. Oh my god! <laughs> anyway, where can uh, people reach you, Stuart, if they want to talk to you? Um, people are looking for me. Um, I'm on Twitter as at sil. Um, I'm at cryogenics.org, which is k r y o g e n i x. If you want to just chat to me or or hire me <laughs> hire you which would be better which, 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 which you're welcome to do i'm always happy to talk to people when they've got a check in there um, um and yeah i'm just around i'm on telegram and i'm just around the place google plus and mastodon and so on and so forth so just give me a shout there's a page on cryogenics.org um which is the contact and it lists ways of getting hold of me well we will give a link to everybody uh for cryogenics and it was an awesome conversation, man. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you very much for having me. All right. So we could have talked about many other things, including the Patreon news of them backtracking on everything, but there's just not enough time. So they reversed their decision to put it shortly. Yeah. There you go. There you go. There you have it. <laughs> they did. So, right. Well done. <laughs> and we also ha are trying to, for those who are interested, who do not want to use Patreon. We are looking into other ways that you could possibly support us with. So we'll see what happens with that. But a big thank you to each and every one of you from the Telegram group, supporters on down. It is much appreciated. Thank you for watching. Have a great week. And remember, the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone.
Thank you for listening to another episode of Destination Linux Podcast. Now, we have reasonably strong net neutrality laws already in the EU. Yeah. Lol. But... <laughs> <laughs> reasonably strong. <laughs> You're going to have to reinstall and install something proper. Oh! <laughs> the throwdown. Was it you or Christian saying you agree with my picks? Uh, gonna... <laughs> How about that, I free but who would agree with your picks, Ryan? I, I, I think Christian's brilliant. Personally. Uh-huh. I thought Ryan, I would picks. I must have missed that part. Oh my gosh! You, you didn't miss much, Clifford. Oh, let me tell you. you. <laughs> Clifford, now two picking on me. You didn't hey, miss much, Clifford. My Trust shoulders me. are so broad I can handle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's the part that's broad. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Just quickly, going back to your experience with i3, one of the things you said there was that they've got this great wallpaper with all the commands, yeah? Yeah. How the bloody hell can you see it? Because your window's full of windows. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask the same yeah. thing, Zeb. Right, you've got, so... you got seven windows covering your whole screen and they're all nicely tiled, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> how, how do I minimise the window? Wait, yeah, I, I forgot the it. shortcut key, but it's on the desktop, but I can't uh, see it. Listen, just because you guys are not technical enough to use an advanced yeah, desktop We are so like dumb. This. We don't know how to use i3. Right, Would you know what I did when I had i3? Like me. We're like Neanderthals, dude. Yes, basically. I, Even I had a to... caveman could use i3. <laughs> I don't so, use a 24-hour clock. Nobody who's reasonable uses 24-hour clock. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, one area I agree uh, with him Did mark this down I agree with Ryan for once well let's not take away your ability and sarcasm there Rocco I speak two <laughs> languages I'm fluent in two languages English and sarcasm oh cool so so I've got a better time that was my thought what I didn't want to do was disappear to the pub and you're like dude you're in the pub you haven't said anything at all <laughs> <laughs> Then I, then I end up SHing in from my phone while I'm in the pub. Why are you in the pub when you should be helping us edit? I mean, obviously, we could sit here and talk for eight hours. Right. right? And, 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 that would, and that would be perfectly doable. I can so. imagine Stuart now at the pub. You won't believe these jerks. I take it up wait, I, hours of my time. I think that might break the record for the longest show we've had. Yeah, it might, actually. Sorry, people. <laughs> no, it's not your fault. Yes, this, this has been fabulous. Yep. All right. Well, thank you so much, Stuart.